0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of The Strange High House in the Mist by H.P. Lovecraft. It's read by Gordon Gould. It runs 18 minutes and we will be discussing it
1: Afterward. The Strange High House in the Mist by H. P. Lovecraft. In the morning, mist comes up from the sea by the cliffs beyond Kingsport. White and feathery, it comes from the deep to its brothers the clouds, full of dreams of dank pastures and caves of Leviathan. And later, in still summer rains on the steep roofs of poets, the clouds scatter bits of those dreams. That men shall not live without rumor Of old strange secrets And wonders that planets tell planets Alone in the night. When tales fly thick in the grottoes of tritons And conks in seaweed cities Blow wild tunes learned from the elder ones Then great eager mists flock to heaven Laden with lore And oceanward eyes on the rocks See only a mystic whiteness As if the cliffs rim were the rim of all earth and the solemn bells of boys tolled free in the ether of fairy. Now, north of archaic Kingsport, the crags climb lofty and curious, terrace on terrace, till the northernmost hangs in the sky like a gray, frozen wind cloud. Alone it is, a bleak point jutting in limitless space. For there the coast turns sharp, where the great Miskatonic pours out of the plains past Arkham, bringing woodland legends and little quaint memories of New England's hills. The sea folk in Kingsport look up at that cliff as other sea folk look up at the pole star, and time the night's watches by the way it hides or shows the great bear, Cassiopeia, and the dragon. Among them it is one with the firmament, and truly it is hidden from them when the mist hides the stars or the sun. Some of the cliffs they love as that whose grotesque profile they call Father Neptune, or that whose pillared steps they term the Causeway, but this one they fear because it is so near the sky. The Portuguese sailors coming in from a voyage cross themselves when they first see it, and the old Yankees believe it would be much graver matter than death to climb it, if indeed that were possible. Nevertheless, there is an ancient house on that cliff, and at evening men see light in the small paned windows. The ancient house has always been there, and people say, One dwells therein who talks with the morning mists that come up from the deep, and perhaps sees singular things oceanward at those times when the cliff's rim becomes the rim of all earth, and solemn boys toll free in the white ether of fairy. This they tell from hearsay, for that forbidding crag is always unvisited and natives dislike to train telescopes on it. Summer boarders have indeed scanned it with jaunty binoculars, but have never seen more than the gray primeval roof, peaked and shingled, whose eaves come nearly to the gray foundations, and the dim yellow light of the little windows peeping out from under those eaves in the dusk. These summer people do not believe that the same One has lived in the ancient house for hundreds of years, but cannot prove their heresy to any real king's porter. Even the terrible old man who talks to leaden pendulums in bottles, buys groceries with centuried Spanish gold, and keeps stone idols in the yard of his antediluvian cottage in Water Street, can only say these things were the same when his grandfather was a boy, and that must have been inconceivable ages ago, when Belcher, or Shirley, or Pownall or Bernard was governor of His Majesty's province of the Massachusetts Bay. Then one summer there came a philosopher into Kingsport. His name was Thomas Olney, and he taught ponderous things in a college by Narragansett Bay. With stout wife and romping children he came, and his eyes were weary with seeing the same things for many years, and thinking the same well-disciplined thoughts. He looked at the mists from the diadem of Father Neptune, and tried to walk into their white world of mystery along the titan steps of the causeway. Morning after morning he would lie on the cliffs, and look over the world's rim at the cryptical ether beyond, listening to spectral bells and the wild cries of what might have been gulls. Then, when the mist would lift and the sea stand out prosy with the smoke of steamers, he would sigh and descend to the town, for he loved to thread the narrow olden lanes up and downhill, and study the crazy tottering gables and odd pillared doorways which had sheltered so many generations of sturdy seafolk. And he even talked with the terrible old man, who was not fond of strangers, and was invited into his fearsomely archaic cottage, where low ceilings and wormy panelling hear the echoes of disquieting soliloquies in the dark small hours. Of course, it was inevitable that Olney should mark the grey, unvisited cottage in the sky, on that sinister northward crag, which is one with the mists and the firmament. Always over Kingsport it hung and always its mystery sounded in whispers through Kingsport's crooked alleys. The terrible old man wheezed a tale that his father had told him, of lightning that shot one night up from that peaked cottage to the clouds of higher heaven, and Granny Orne, whose tiny gambrel-roofed abode in Ship Street is all covered with moss and ivy, croaked over something her grandmother had heard at second hand about shapes that flapped out of the eastern mists, straight into the narrow single door of that unreachable place, for the door is set close to the edge of the crag toward the ocean, and glimpsed only from ships at sea. At length, being avid for new strange things, and held back by neither the king's porter's fear nor the summer boarder's usual indolence, only made a very terrible resolve. Despite a conservative training, or, because of it, for humdrum lives breed wistful longings of the unknown, He swore a great oath to scale that avoided northern cliff and visit the abnormally antique gray cottage in the sky. Very plausibly, his saner self argued that the place must be tenanted by people who reached it from inland along the easier ridge beside the Miskatonic's estuary. Probably they traded in Arkham, knowing how little Kingsport liked their habitation, or perhaps being unable to climb down the cliff on the Kingsport side. Olney walked out along the lesser cliffs to where the great crag leaped insolently up to consort with celestial things and became very sure that no human feet could mount it or descend it on that beetling southern slope. East and north it rose thousands of feet vertically from the water, so only the western side, inland and toward Arkham, remained. One early morning in August Olney set out to find a path to the inaccessible pinnacle. He worked northwest along pleasant back roads, past Hooper's Pond and the old brick powder house to where the pastures slope up to the ridge above the Miskatonic and give a lovely vista of Arkham's white Georgian steeples across leagues of river and meadow. Here he found a shady road to Arkham, but no trail at all in the seaward direction he wished. Woods and fields crowded up to the high bank of the river's mouth and bore not a sign of man's presence not even a stone wall or a straying cow, but only the tall grass and giant trees and tangles of briars that the first Indian might have seen. As he climbed slowly east, higher and higher above the estuary on his left, and nearer and nearer the sea, he found the way growing in difficulty, till he wondered how ever the dwellers in that disliked place managed to reach the world outside, and whether they came often to market in Arkham. Then the trees thin, and far below him, on his right, he saw the hills and antique roofs and spires of Kingsport. Even Central Hill was a dwarf from this height, and he could just make out the ancient graveyard by the Congregational Hospital, beneath which, rumor said, some terrible caves or burrows lurked. Ahead lay sparse grass and scrub blueberry bushes, and beyond them the naked rock of the crag and the thin peak of the dreaded gray cottage. Now the ridge narrowed, and Olney grew dizzy at his loneness in the sky. South of him, the frightful precipice above Kingsport. North of him, the vertical drop of nearly a mile to the river's mouth. Suddenly, a great chasm opened before him, ten feet deep, so that he had to let himself down by his hands and drop to a slanting floor, and then crawl perilously up a natural defile in the opposite wall. So this was the way the folk of the uncanny house journeyed betwixt earth and sky. When he climbed out of the chasm a morning mist was gathering, but he clearly saw the lofty and unhallowed cottage ahead, walls as gray as the rock, and high peaks standing bold against the milky white of the seaward vapors. And he perceived that there was no door on this landward end, but only a couple of small lattice windows with dingy bull's-eye panes leaded in seventeenth-century fashion. All around him was cloud and chaos, and he could see nothing below but the whiteness of illimitable space. He was alone in the sky with this queer and very disturbing house, and when he sidled around to the front and saw that the wall stood flush with the cliff's edge, so that the single narrow door was not to be reached save from the empty ether, he felt a distinct terror that altitude could not wholly explain, and it was very odd that shingles so worm-eaten could survive, or bricks so crumbled still form a standing chimney. As the mist thickened, Olney crept around to the windows on the north and west and south sides, trying them, but finding them all locked. He was vaguely glad they were locked, because the more he saw of that house, the less he wished to get in. Then a sound halted him. He heard a lock rattle and a bolt shoot and a long creaking follow, as if a heavy door were slowly and cautiously open. This was on the oceanward side that he could not see, for the narrow portal opened on blank space, thousands of feet in the misty sky above the waves. Then there was heavy, deliberate tramping in the cottage, and Olney heard the windows opening, first on the north side opposite him, and then on the west just around the corner. Next would come the south windows under the great low eaves on the side where he stood. And it must be said that he was more than uncomfortable as he thought of the detestable house on one side and the vacancy of upper air on the other. When a fumbling came in the nearer casements he crept around to the west again, flattening himself against the wall beside the now-opened windows. It was plain that the owner had come home, but he had not come from the land, nor from any balloon or airship that could be imagined. Steps sounded again, and Olney edged round to the north, but before he could find a haven a voice called softly, and he knew he must confront his host. Stuck out of a west window was a great black-bearded face, whose eyes shone phosphorescently with the imprint of unheard-of sights. But the voice was gentle, and of a quaint olden kind, so that Olney did not shudder when a brown hand reached out to help him over the sill and into that low room of black oak wainscots and carved tudor furnishings. The man was clad in very ancient garments and had about him an unplaceable nimbus of sea lore and dreams of tall galleons. Only does not recall many of the wonders he told or even who he was, but says that he was strange and kindly and filled with the magic of unfathomed voids of time and space. The small room seemed green with a dim, aqueous light, and Olney saw that the far windows to the east were not open but shut against the misty ether with dull, thick panes like the bottoms of old bottles. That bearded host seemed young, yet looked out of eyes steeped in the elder mysteries, and from the tales of marvelous ancient things he related it must be guessed that the village folk were right in saying he had communed with the mists of the sea and the clouds of the sky ever since there was any village to watch his taciturn dwelling from the plain below. And the day wore on, and still only listened to rumors of old times and far places, and heard how the kings of Atlantis fought with the slippery blasphemies that wriggled out of rifts in ocean's floor, and how the pillared and weedy temple of Poseidonus is still glimpsed at midnight by lost ships. Who know by its sight that they are lost. Years of the Titans were recalled, but the host grew timid when he spoke of the dim first age of chaos before the gods or even the elder ones were born, and when only the other gods came to dance on the peak of Hathegkla in the stony desert near Althar beyond the river sky. It was at this point that there came a knocking on the door that ancient door of nail-studded oak, beyond which lay only the abyss of white cloud. Olney started in fright, but the bearded man motioned him to be still, and tiptoed to the door to look out through a very small peephole. What he saw he did not like, so pressed his fingers to his lips, and tiptoed around to shut and lock all the windows, before returning to the ancient settle beside his guests. Then Olney saw lingering against the translucent squares of each of the little dim windows in succession a queer black outline, as the caller moved inquisitively about before leaving, and he was glad his host had not answered the knocking, for there are strange objects in the great abyss, and the seeker of dreams must take care not to stir up or meet the wrong ones. Then the shadows began to gather, first little furtive ones under the table and then bolder ones in the dark panelled corners, and the bearded man made enigmatical gestures of prayer, and lit tall candles in curiously wrought brass candlesticks. Frequently he would glance at the door, as if he expected someone, and at length his glance seemed answered by a singular rapping which must have followed some very ancient and secret code. This time he did not even glance through the peephole, but swung the great oak bar and shot the bolt, unlatching the heavy door, and flinging it wide to the stars and the mist. And then, to the sound of obscure harmonies, there floated into that room, from the deep, all the dreams and memories of earth's sunken mighty ones. And golden flames played about weedy locks, so that Olney was dazzled as he did them homage. Trident-bearing Neptune was there, and sportive Tritons, and fantastic Nereids, and upon dolphins' backs, was balanced a vast, crenulate shell wherein rode the gray and awful form of primal Nodens, lord of the great abyss, and the conchs of the tritons gave weird blasts, and the nereids made strange sounds by striking on the grotesque resonant shells of unknown lurkers in black sea caves. Then hoary Nodens reached forth a wizened hand and helped Olney and his host into the vast shell whereat the conks and the gongs set up a wild and awesome clamor, and out into the limitless ether reeled that fabulous train, the noise of whose shouting was lost in the echoes of thunder. All night in Kingsport they watched that lofty cliff when the storm and the mists gave them glimpses of it, and when toward the small hours the little dim windows went dark, they whispered of dread and disaster. And Olney's children and stout wife prayed to the bland, proper god of Baptists, and hoped that the traveler would borrow an umbrella and rubbers unless the rain stopped by morning. Then dawn swam dripping and mist-wreathed out of the sea, and the boys told solemn in vortices of white ether. And at noon elfin horns rang over the ocean as Olney, dry and light-footed, climbed down the cliffs to antique Kingsport with the look of far places in his eyes. He could not recall what he had dreamed in the sky-perched hut of that still nameless hermit, or say how he had crept down that crag untraversed by other feet. Nor could he talk of these matters at all, save with the terrible old man, who afterward mumbled queer things in his long white beard, vowing that the man who came down from that crag was not wholly the man who went up, and that somewhere under that grey peaked roof or amidst inconceivable reaches of that sinister white mist, there lingered still the lost spirit of him who was Thomas Olney. And ever since that hour, through dull, dragging years of grayness and weariness, the philosopher has labored and eaten and slept and done uncomplaining the suitable deeds of a citizen. Not any more does he long for the magic of farther hills, or sigh for secrets that peer like green reefs from a bottomless sea. The sameness of his days no longer gives him sorrow, and well-disciplined thoughts have grown enough for his imagination. His good wife waxes stouter, and his children older and prosier and more useful, and he never fails to smile correctly with pride when the occasion calls for it. In his glance there is not any restless light, and if he ever listens for solemn bells or far elfin horns, it is only at night when old dreams are wandering." He has never seen Kingsport again, for his family disliked the funny old houses, and complained that the drains were impossibly bad. They have a trim bungalow now at Bristol Highlands, where no tall crags tower, and the neighbors are urban and modern. But in Kingsport, strange tales are abroad, and even the terrible old man admits a thing untold by his grandfather. For now, When the wind sweeps boisterous out of the north past the high ancient house that is one with the firmament, there is broken at last that ominous brooding silence ever before the bane of Kingsport's maritime cotters, and old folk tell of pleasing voices heard singing there, and of laughter that swells with joys beyond earth's joys, and say that at evening the little low windows are brighter than formerly. They say, too, that the fierce aurora comes oftener to that spot. Shining blue in the north with visions of frozen worlds, while the crag and the cottage hang black and fantastic against wild coruscations. And the mists of the dawn are thicker, and sailors are not quite so sure that all the muffled seaward ringing is that of the solemn boys. Worst of all, though, is the shriveling of old fears in the hearts of Kingsport's young men, who grow prone to listen at night to the north wind's faint distant sounds. They swear no harm or pain can inhabit that high-peaked cottage, for in the new voices gladness beats, and with them the tinkle of laughter and music. What tales the sea mists may bring to that haunted and northernmost pinnacle, they do not know, but they long to extract some hint of the wonders that knock at the cliff-yawning door when clouds are thickest, and patriarchs dread lest some day, one by one, they seek out that inaccessible peak in the sky, and learn what centuried secrets hide beneath the steep shingled roof which is part of the rocks and the stars and the ancient fears of Kingsport. That those venturesome youths will come back they do not doubt, but they think a light may be gone from their eyes and a will from their hearts, and they do not wish quaint Kingsport, with its climbing lanes and archaic gables, to drag listless down the years while voice by voice the laughing chorus grows stronger and wilder in that unknown and terrible eerie where mists and the dreams of mists stop to rest on their way from the sea to the skies they do not wish the souls of their young men to leave the pleasant hearths and gambrel-roofed taverns of old kingsport nor do they wish the laughter and song in that high rocky place to grow louder for as the voice which has come has brought fresh mists from the sea and from the north fresh lights, so do they say that still other voices will bring more mists and more lights, till perhaps the olden gods, whose existence they hint only in whispers for fear the congregational parson shall hear, may come out of the deep and from unknown Kadath in the cold waste, and make their dwelling on that evilly appropriate crag so close to the gentle hills and valleys of quiet, simple fisher-folk. This they do not wish, for to plain people things not of earth are unwelcome. And besides, the terrible old man often recalls what Olney said about a knock that the lone dweller feared, and a shape seen black and inquisitive against the mist through those queer translucent windows of leaded bull's-eyes. All these things, however, the elder ones only may decide, and, meanwhile, The morning mist still comes up by that lonely vertiginous peak With the steep ancient house, that gray, low-eaved house, Where none is seen, but where evening brings furtive lights, While the north wind tells of strange revels. White and feathery it comes from the deep to its brothers the clouds, Full of dreams of dank pastures and caves of Leviathan. And when tales fly thick in the grottos of Tritons, and conchs in seaweed cities blow wild tunes learned from the elder ones, then great eager vapors flock to heaven laden with lore, and Kingsport, nestling uneasy on its lesser cliffs below that awesome hanging sentinel of rock, sees oceanward only a mystic whiteness, as if the cliffs' rim were the rim of all earth, and the solemn bells of the buoys tolled free in the ether of fairy.
0: Hi, I'm Jesse.
2: Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Jason.
1: Um,
0: we're going to talk about The Strange High House in the Mist by H.P. Lovecraft, first published in Weird Tales, October 1931. Um, I really like this story. The more I read it, the more I like it. I also think it's rather different from a lot of his other stories. Um, this, this guy has a family... Which is unusual. But uh, I also realized that it's basically just a series of wellness checks. Guy goes to uh, uh, some old man's house. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, what do you know about that thing up on the mountain? Let me check your uh, your health here. The guy tells him something. Then he goes down the next street. And there's an old lady. Knocks on her door. <laughs> Says, hey, what do you know about that thing up there? And she gives him some tea and then sends him on his way. And then he, he goes and checks on the whoever's living up in that ancient house. Um, and then somebody knocks on that door. <laughs> and, and then he goes home. So it's just a series of wellness checks. What do you think about that take? Because they're all well, old people, right?
3: Well, you know, old people are the key to the they, – they are our gateway to the uh, mystic in the story, I think. and So the older, the more mystic, especially like an old – old sailor who may be hundreds of years old i don't
2: know yeah um well there's a nice world building here with those house checks too because like granny orne is connected somehow to insmouth mm-hmm. right the orne family and the terrible old man of course there's a whole other story mm-hmm. uh, about him so we get a little better look at at that character um there's another. So you said it was published in 31, right? Yeah, that's what my. Uh, it was written back in 26. Yes, so that sounds the right. The chronology is kind of interesting here. If you have like the, the, Klinger anthologies, do you mm-hmm. guys have those? I do. I, I don't. Yeah, there's a. Uh, it's two volumes now, which has not all, unfortunately, but they could have put all of his work, but they, chose not to, um, but. At least, they not including the revisions, but they didn't. But it's got most of them, if you get both the Klinger anthologies. And they're they're basically in order of how they were written, when they were written, not published. Because mm-hmm. that's sometimes big differences. Like, Kadath was never even published in his lifetime, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, you have The Horror at Red Hook, which is a New York story, right? Mm-hmm. We've done that here. Yep. yep. You have He, which is a New York story. Mm-hmm which are both like, uh, in some ways, walking tours of different parts of New York. Um, And he's got that kind of temporal walking tour, where as he's walking through the city, he's exploring different timelines of New York. Yep. Then Mm -hmm. Cool Air, which is a third New York story, right? Right. Then suddenly, uh, Strange High House in the Mist, which was written in uh, 26, November 1926, right around the time of those stories. I think he's back in Providence by 26, is that right? Sounds right.
0: I, November it didn't, he, said, he wasn't yeah. with uh, Sonya Green that long, right? Yeah. A couple of years at most.
2: Yeah, I think by the end of 26, he was back there. Then he wrote Pickman's Model, which is a Boston story, but it's also kind of more urban setting, more contemporary setting. But Strange High House in the Mist, it's a... I mean, the setting is so bizarre. I mean, Kingsport is... It's like a... It's not even an 18th century city like like Arkham sort of is, right? Or mm-hmm. Providence. It's, it's a... It's a 17th century city. Mm. There's three like stories. The geography there. of this. He's exploring these temporal geographies in this part of his career in interesting ways. He's got very contemporary stories, but then he's got he, which is really let's look at New York now, and let's think about New York in the future, and we'll think about New York like back in the colonial period or something, mm-hmm. right? And this is just let's imagine a town that never left the colonial period. Right and it's
0: it's I, it's I think it's supposed weird. to be set it's in the modern era they've got cars and they've got
2: they've got uh yeah but university I'm, I'm thinking stuff that that Lovecraft cares about, like the architecture and the clothing sure. and, uh, of course, the house is goes back that far. The man in the house that he encounters is wearing Tudor clothing even so it might mm-hmm. actually go back to the sixteenth century mm-hmm. so in some. way. but the maritime connections are all of that old New England when he ta- write, writes in his letters about New England history. It's always like he talks about this. He often talks about the maritime epoch of New England history, right, which is back to the 18th, 17th, 18th century. So I just think there's some interesting geography stuff going on in this story.
0: There, what, what, what's the what chronology for the festival? Because that's also set in, in the its festival
2: town. is it's earlier, right? I think it's earlier. It's in the other anthology, and, that we
0: and that's the that's I guess the third family we never see visited, right? The one with the masks and and the uh, religious ceremony once every hundred years.
2: Yeah, they don't. They're not visited.
0: It's a little bit like uh, the horror at Red Hook, right? Because there's that underground. It
2: was written in twenty three. It's got
0: Published that underground 25. visit to, uh, you know, a, a temple. And actually, there's a really—I—I I, I guess I don't notice it every time I read it, but um, there's a line that I was like, "Wow, I wonder if the the modules for Call of Cthulhu explore that?" They probably do. Um, there's a line about the um, the graveyard and how there's like rumors of tunnels or burrows underneath it. And it's just like a throwaway line in here, I'm like, "Wow, yeah, it's like this town is full of stories."
2: Oh yeah. You got Indians, all these like traditions going on. Sea, various kinds of sea folk, Portuguese sailors. Mm-hmm. It's really much. A, it's a story of the sea in a lot of ways, and it's, See, it's, actually, it's yeah, a long yeah, ladder to love the love sea love the in house. the way that Be others right are not, right? And like between the woods and the sea, in a way, right? Uh, good point.
0: Yeah, but there's no there's no uh, fear of the sea in the same way that there is in a lot of the other you know, like Innsmouth is much yeah. ne- more negative. You know, it's stinky, It it's uh, run down. Here it's very positive and up- uplifting, but even the whatever happens to him when he, well, that is only, whatever happens to him is not, it doesn't curse him in a certain way. It affects him, but it isn't like uh, him and his line are damned for all time. It's more like, well, he made a friend.
2: <laughs> I
3: think in this story, yeah, the sea is like fairyland. The sea is like it literally is called
0: out present. as fairy, right? Yeah, that's true. I love it. Uh, it's very yes, positive. It's kind story. of like some
2: of the dreamland stories in that way, where the characters don't end up insane and cursed or something. Right? Oh, but, but even there, there's, there's
0: like a, a lot of in this one. Yeah. yeah. But even even in the most of the dreamland stories, there's like a. Uh, especially in Kadath, right? There's a lot yeah. of, um, horror. Um, if, if this is an, if this is a dream story, and I think it very much is, he, in a, um, in the, if you go to the Brown Library website, they've got the extant document, and it, I guess he had sent it to a friend. He says it's a, Uh, A fantastic short story by me. I don't think he means (laughs) wonderful. I think he means, uh, uh, like a fantasy. He's not calling it a dreamland story, but that's how it's classified generally. Um, I didn't normally think of it that way, but obviously it is a dreamland story, um, with especially how it's very dreamlike, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, with the, with what the, what the water from the oceans and the grottos are doing, bringing up waters, and then raining down dreams. It's, pr- it's a super beautiful, very, very poetic. And um, if you look at those documents uh, of his scribblings and crossings out, you can see he's just improving the language, making it more and more poetic, throwing away old and replacing it with ancient, and adding in clauses that uh, resonate over and over again. There's, In fact, if you look at the original Weird Tales publication, on the left-hand column... There's uh, uh, the second sentence down to the end of the first paragraph. Um, It starts white and feathery. It comes from the deep. It brothers the clouds and then ends uh, as if the cliff's rim were the rim of all the earth and the solemn bells of the buoys told free in the ether of fairy. And on the exact right side of the column, so symmetrically almost, it ends almost the same way, except it's in the middle of the paragraph. It says... Uh, seeing singular things oceanward at those times when the cliff's rim becomes the rim of all earth and the solemn buoys toll-free in the white ether of ferry. It, it's a deliberate re- repeat, and then we get at the very end... That's the exact same thing. It ends white and feathery. It comes from the deep to the, its brothers, the clouds, full of dreams of dank pastures and caves, Leviathan. And when tails fly thick in the grottos of the tritons and conks and seaweed cities blow, wild tunes learn from the elder ones. Then great eager vapors flock to heaven, laden with lore and king sport nestling uneasy on its lesser cliffs below that awesome hanging sentinel of rock sees oceanward only a mystic whiteness as if the cliff's rim were the rim of all earth and the solemn bells of the buoys tolled free in the ether of fairy. So it's it's cyclical, right? It's got that cyclical uh, nature. And in between those first two, uh, it's almost like he's getting into the story. He's forgetting where he is. And then he's go, oh yeah, yeah, I was telling you about uh, <laughs> the story. And he start, starts it again. And that's, it's not accidental, right? It's a pattern that he's developing. But, uh, at some point in the story, it becomes about only, right? <laughs> but it's not at the beginning. And then when he starts learning things, we don't know that it's him learning things until quite deep. And then when he's hiking, we see him going up a trail and he says, this must be how, uh, the, whoever occupies that house must get to market. And it, that's his supposition. But it's very um, sort of we're floating in the ether around this place. And then we sort of start seeing it from his point of view. And then it ends in the same way, a very ethereal way. It's, I think, you know, faultless. I don't think there's a misstep anywhere. It avoids all the uh, things that most people hate, which is the well, most people get triggered by the racism and stuff. I don't think there's anything like that in here. Uh, the, even the portuguese guys aren't like derided for no reason right
3: it, it's interesting that uh actually reading the story there's the, the detail that the guy his the sailor the guy on the strange house is described as dark-skinned mm-hmm. um and but i although in reflection it's probably just because he's, he's, he's a sailor the and sun. He,
0: yeah. yeah it's all the sun from being at sea yeah and and we're, we're told he's a sailor but he's he's a demigod of some kind if we're using traditional descriptions right he doesn't need he, he does he flew in there right and there's no airship there's no uh, airplane he just flew in the front door and then he opens up uh, when I was reading it and just you know this week I was thinking oh the doors are opening the windows are he's he's looking for our hero no he's just airing out the place right he's been gone <laughs> for a couple of days or whatever hey where's he been sailing he's been sailing. Through the abysses of heaven, maybe, and he's yeah. got a great disposition. I say, "Hey, a visitor! Nice to see you. Come on in." And they talk. This is,
3: this is one of those mystic friend stories, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's so that's something that's so interesting in Lovecraft is that um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I would have been interesting to have if Lovecraft ever written like a big long letter or an essay about friendship because it seems like something that on the one to Of course, he would never write. But on the other hand. He's cl- there's so many stories where it's just a where maybe it's just a literary trope to an extent but he's all it's always about some guy and some and some other guy who they're really close to and there's a super best friends. Yep. and and the end if you'll ra- ram- ram- ramble on just a little further I mean one of the interesting things about lovecraft is that he appears to have kind of lived bef- before in the age before there was an awareness of, of, of queerness basically before he kind of lived in almost a pre-homophobic era although even though there is Clearly, its own sort of form of homophobia. But when I read the works of writers who are just like 20 years younger, like um, there's this book, uh, uh, there's this collection, The Rim of Mourning by William Sloan. And it also has a setup where there's this guy that's got a super best friend, and uh, he goes to investigate stuff that happens to his super best friend. But, but in that, he feels the need. The, the narrator feels the need to say like, "We were super close friends. Like, not in a weird way or anything." Because ah. suddenly, there's this awareness. Hmm. They're supposed they You know that. You know you as two manly men. They've got. You know they're not. They're not. They're not that kind of too close. You know. But that 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 awareness is not present at all in Lovecraft's story. So I feel that, and maybe it's partly just this fact that there's no women in his stories, which is also an element in this that I will, I want to talk about. Don't throw briefly. granny Orne under
0: the bus. My friend. <laughs>
3: oh, that's true. Oh, my God, I forgot granny Orne. Never mind. He's, yeah, true, he's yeah. got
0: a wife. We know granny he's got kids. Granny Orne and his wife. Yeah. We don't, the wife doesn't have a name, but she's not well, really necessary you know. for the story. The I, did
3: s- I think she is actually. And I think, but, uh, but uh, that's, let's get to that later. The, but, the, um, the wife's
0: name is what I mean. is not necessary. Oh yeah, the story. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, but there's this definitely. It's another story where there's this, this this the the perfect friend, the perfect male male bonding friend is. That's an aspect of of this, even though they only are talking for like a few hours. But still, there's that aspect where you see this dude, and you just have this uh, immediate bromance, mm-hmm. presumably, presumably uh, in Lovecraft's terms.
0: It's very anyway. much like that with the cool air guy, right? Yeah. The doctor that he's he's doing all sorts of uh, hypnos that this this is a you're right it is a persistent theme um he does actually write a lot about people who have strong friendships or dangerous friendships if you like statement of randolph yeah. carter etc but um even um the terrible old man he's got lots of friends they're all in his bottles of course <laughs> <laughs> but he's always talking with them and and they do his bidding when he's, <laughs> you know, getting housebroken or whatever. So you're right. It's not, it's not a focus of his, um, letters as far as I've read. But, you know, I think he and, uh, Howard get on pretty well. Robert, uh, Robert E. Howard. Um, though never have met, but it's, um, it, I, I think what a lot of it is, Jason, is mm-hmm. it's like, um, you live in a small town where everybody's super religious. You're not super religious and you make a friend who isn't super religious. It's like a big deal, right? It's like mm-hmm. finally someone who isn't like indoctrinated by the, the horrors of, of this stupid, pedantic <sighs> driving thing that makes everything taboo and scary and uh, officious and yucky. Uh, when you have a, somebody who can, you feel is on a communicable level where you can be honest and interested in the same things, it's a, a delight. And, um, if you look at his early life, it seems to be, uh, you know, a lot of people thought he was a weirdo and those are the people around, right? And yeah. yeah, he made friends. Um, but it wasn't always easy. We don't know a lot about why it wasn't always easy, but I, I don't. I don't I don't think I think that one of the reasons he's he's not uh throwing in uh they're not gay for each other all the time is because he's he's not really worried about anybody thinking that about him. Which is something we think about a lot, right? There's a lot of people come up with theories Lovecraft's gay or whatever. I'm like, okay. Um but evidence please the evidence is that he makes really good friends (laughs) but he seems to have made really good friends with women too right by letters it's not it's not all in-person huggings and walkings but uh he did take a lot of women on walks too true true so I, i i think it seems like it's just um very enthusiastic guy and uh if you guys know about the stupid pink beam moment in Philip K. Dick's life where the lady came to the door with his pharmacy full of pain medication and he, he saw she was wearing an onk and a pink beam of light came out of the sky and zapped off of it, went into his head and changed his life forever. Uh, this is uh, sort of like Lovecraft's moment is in Kingsport, he says. He wrote about how when he visited Kingsport for the first time in real life, uh he had this moment of highest right to his like the highest point of his existence or something yeah and marblehead just, right yeah in all oh, marblehead i'm sorry yes um and it's not even that far away from providence so i'm not sure why it took him so long to get there but uh it, it, the idea of like just cruising those streets and seeing them the way the character in the festival does um, and we see a little bit of that here too, with Oren walking through the town, and then looking down at it. You do a really great job of the, of showing that. In fact, when in the story where you um, you're descri- describing him looking down, or Lovecraft's describing him looking down at the city, uh, first he looks over at uh, Arkham, and then he looks down at uh, Mara, Kingsport. Um, you you change the focus to home, right? In your oh. adaptation, whereas the focus here is on the hill where the church is, so he's uh, Lovecraft's more focused on the architecture, but you're doing sort of the subconscious reading of him looking down at the at the the town, and then the inset is a little highlighted home, and we know it's home because it says home on the on the street map <laughs> or on the hearth rug, whatever it's called. No. The doormat. Doormat, the doormat, yeah. And that's like, um, it's, it's, because that's the natural thing to think. And of course, that is what he is thinking subconsciously, because when he returns home from this amazing experience, he, uh, he starts dwelling differently than he'd had, right? Like he left some of himself up there it became more normal. Yeah. And and I'm I'm curious as to what that means. But I just love the idea that there's this guy comes to town. He's a philosopher. He thinks, you know, everybody knows about this place. Let me investigate. Does a little investigation. And then he's, I'm going to find out more about that. And unlike the tourists who just look at it with binoculars. And unlike the locals who are indoctrinated against it. He goes up there. You know, there's no path. He keeps going. There's a, a pit that prevents him from, a chasm that opens up and prevents him from uh, going, and he climbs down that and climbs up the other side. Says, you, you've got it in the story, that he left, leaves a note to his wife, right? I'll be back uh, before nightfall. And, uh, and then he comes back basically in the morning. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. After having yet another visitor come, in after he has these experiences with with the uh, the the friend who you've you've rightly I think portrayed as a guy who looks pretty much like him except with a beard right and no glasses and they are like the doubles in hypnos and uh, all the other stories where he has these adm- admirable uh, doubles and then. Uh, in comes Poseidon, <laughs> or something. What happens exactly? It's
2: is it Nodens? I think it's Nodens. The right?
0: Nodens is there, yeah, for sure.
2: Well, the text here. Well, he looked at the myths from the diadem of Father Neptune, and tried That's to a, walk that's at the beginning, life. right? But yeah.
0: when when we get deep into it, uh, yeah,
2: they're Nodens, yeah,
0: Neptune and Nodens, and uh, and Tritons and um, Nereia and Nereads,
2: Naiads, Naiads. But back to Only for a second before mm-hmm. we get too far ahead, I I really like how how you depicted Only here because I think he, there's just this little line here, but there, we're like a short paragraph, but I think it's pretty important because he's he's not just he's a philosopher, but he's not he's kind of a boring philosopher. He's he's more like who's that guy in the shadow out of a time?
0: Uh, the political economist.
2: Yeah, who's kind of a boring let professor researching boring stuff. Yes. And then he has this experience, and it kind of makes him a more interesting it person. It shakes him up at for the sure. end. And he you can't, put this, you have that this nice little frame in the comic here where he's got to pay his mortgage and he's got mm. that, that hm? junk in his pocket. And the bored students listen to his lecture. Nice. But yeah, so he taught ponderous things in the college in Nargesucket Nar- Nar- Bay. With a stout wife and romping children, he came. His eyes were weary. We've seen the same thing for many years. So who does that remind us of? Mm. Me. <laughs> well, Carter in uh, The Silver Key. Right? That's true, yeah. Carter is bored with life, right? Sure. Let's so go back to his youth.
3: One thing that I did, uh, I did in the co- drawing of the comic was, um, you don't, which, uh, yeah, of course we're discussing the original story, not my comic, but uh, you we're don't see, both, it, I mean, I made it so you don't see his eyes until he is up on the up on the cliff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, oh. you, you see his you just see his face, his blank glasses for three or four pages until finally he, uh, once he's up, right up near the house, he's out you can see see his eyes, and that that was intentional.
0: Yep, there it is. I I, I keep sending you these um plant monsters. You you just love drawing plants. I uh, there's a whole panel on that page where we first see his eyes through his glasses was sweating. And, um, there's like a whole panel where those briars of the blueberries are and the trees. And it's like, that looks lovely. Um, I I noted that this story is set in uh, August. Um, I looked it up the, uh, the, obviously the festival set at Christmas. (laughs) Um, but, uh, the other one is set in, um, the terrible old man is set in April. So we get, uh, spring and we get, uh, summer and, um, Christmas. So it's, it's like everything. We just need a fall story and we have the complete, uh, year-long cycle of, I, I, I assume that's going to be Granny Orne, <laughs> A Granny oh, Orn story, right? Because, um, there is that connection to Shadow Out of Innsmouth and Asenath Wait and all that. But, um, she's got her house uh you know is she's got a gambrel roofed house whereas uh terrible old man he's got all those uh idols in his uh, front yard and uh, i i was comparing the idols you drew to the idols that we see um later in the story and they're they're not identical uh, and i think that's because he knows stuff but his stuff is not the same stuff as the guy up at the top of the mountain whoever that is who is also some sort of immortal, right? Immortality is is a is a theme that runs throughout Lovecraft. That's undeniable. What's the um that uh I mean, how many stories are about immortality? Pretty much, As Way's story is right. Um, yeah, yeah,
2: and that's connected to the Innsmouth folk too.
0: But the um, Alchemist, which is a very early story, is about immortality. Charles, Charles Dexter Ward. Ward. Yeah, Charles Dexter Ward. Uh, the not the Hound, but um, Cool
2: Air, Cool Air, Cool he's Air. He's got is. an immortal in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the Tomb. Yeah. Right. So this, uh th- th- there's this guy who, yeah, he's he's of a certain age. He's living his life. His kids are growing up. He's got those, he's got that watch and the clock and you use the calendar there. And we see the clock in on, on this is on page 14. We see him shaving and, and doing his exercises and driving to work and giving the lectures. And that's the life of the mundane. But there's this other life he can live, which is alone, high on a mountain peak, communing. That's the word that comes up at least twice with the, uh, you know, that which is beyond the abysses above, and uh, what planets tell planets, it's like. But
3: it's also. I'm well, sorry to cut
0: you off. Oh, just I'm just saying it's it's super sweet because this is. I think this is why you know there is that sort of lack of interest in in uh, romance. It's because it, it's not really that interesting. <laughs> it's something that is enjoyable and something that we can delight in. But honestly, you know, coffee is great and all, but it's it's just a stimulant to help you do the things that you love. It's not an end in itself. And and if we see a meme that says coffee is an end in itself, I will like it on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> but I don't really believe it, right? But the but the knowing and the experiencing and the finding out and the appreciating of the beauty that is all worthy.
3: The um, you say it's a the. Uh, you say there's the mundane and then there's being alone? Um, but at the same time, though, when we see his uh, cutting cutting ahead a little bit, skipping ahead, when we see the ending where his spirit essentially dwells within the house, then right. it's it's not that the house is like a empty and quiet still. It's like a party, right? There's like some kind of it's like there's some kind of joyous. Mystic, uh, like you say, some kind of community, but also some just kind of. Uh, I, I mean, I assume Lovecraft would obviously probably use the term brotherhood. Um, some, some kind of some kind of a community of beyond of these dreamers that he gains access to, which is separate from the mundane world, right? So even though it is alone from the perspective of of the, the our world, there's actually like a there's actually still like friendship and you know. And joy and so forth up there in the sky, right? But or, they're
0: not made of the you know gossips. They're made yeah. of the they're made of the uh, sharing of knowledge, uh, or in this case, lore. Which you know, <clears> I <throat> I was teaching this story to a student this week. You know, we just go through reading and talking about the vocabulary and doing stuff with the vocabulary. And it's like, what's it, what is lore? It's not something you study in university. It's it's something you learn from a local, right? About like if you came here and we went hiking, I'd say, well. It's really amazing. You see this mountain here? They bored a, a a tunnel through it to a lake over there to generate hydropower. It's one of the longest tunnels in North America. And I wonder what is it? maybe they made like a a chamber somewhere in the middle and had a party. We never will never know, right? Uh, uh, there's a silver mine up in this mountain over here. Um, a lot of people who moved to this area don't know that because they're recently arrived, right? And, and you know, why this street is, here we've got Spring, not Spring Street, uh, Water Street and Ship Street, right? Um, why these streets are named that is because there's a story behind it. There's a story behind the local knowledge that is nothing you will learn in those schools that are on those streets. Lore is different from, you know, book learning uh, of the of the textual kind. And it's not that it can't be written down because obviously he, he fills his stories with books. But in a sense, it has to be, that book needs to be handed to you by one who knows. And that's why there's that delight when he doesn't go through the door. He goes through the window, right? What a scene.
4: Yeah.
0: He, he's, he's actually like, Trying to break into the place. He's wiggling at the windows, trying to get them to unlock. This is not a normal thing for philosophy professors to do, I don't think, right? He just has to know what's going on there. And then the guy arrives home, and he hides. And then the window opens, and a hand reaches out and pulls him through. Like, they don't even have to talk about why he's there or not. It's like, I don't get visitors often. Come in, come in. I thought that terrible old man was terrible, but who's telling us that? Yeah. Right? Everybody in the town knows he's terrible, but he's full of knowledge. If you leave him alone, don't try and housebreak him. Seems yeah. perfectly fine to leave you be. I like that. I, I think, uh, it's, um, it is, it's a very, very positive and uplifting story. And, almost completely devoid of what a lot of people want to say Lovecraft is, which is horror. Where's the horror here?
2: Well, there's, well, there's the, the... The, the, the introduction of the Supernatural into your life, right? And... He was looking
0: for it, though. He went looking for that, and he found it.
2: Yeah. Well, we have... I think it still sort of qualifies that general description of, of horror.
0: I think his wife would be upset that he was late for dinner, right? But he settles in and goes about his life. It, I, I, guess there is a horror with the ending with the kids, right? The kids look up on that mountain with a new kind of unfear, oh, yeah. and that is scary to the parents. But it's not the normal kind of. I think that that's the horror horror of parents seeing kids playing video games, or <laughs> you know, uh, spending too much time on social media. It's not. It's not the horror of, um, you know. Uh, getting a terrible disease, or uh, finding a someone's been in a terrible car accident. It's it's all. It's like my my kid is not conforming, and not I'm
2: worried about him.
3: Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, sorry, Evan. Uh,
2: well, I was just saying that's kind of another reoccurring theme that he plays with, not as often as immortality, perhaps, but the the kind of the generational curiosity being passed on. Sometimes it's hereditary, but in uh things like uh the carter statement randolph carter or uh what's that dream the dreamlands one with the the outer gods or the other the gods? other gods
0: yeah the other Which gods I, I confuse this that's also kind with. of
2: a generational kind of st- like st- parent to st- child or or st- teacher to student kind of handing over some curiosity about something
0: that's the one where someone thrown up into the sky right
2: yeah. yeah then there's kind of a carrying on with, and that guy shows up in dream quest of Unknown Kadath, right
3: That's yeah the, the guy at the survivor the apprentice yeah. gets thrown up into the sky yeah um there is a what, it's a tiny little bit of a horror a, a horror element in strange eye house besides the whole uh soul your soul getting trapped and fairyland aspect and that is mm. when he uh that is when they the weird shape knocks on the door but it's not the right not the right person. right it's right Neptune. and that's then they he, he like goes by and uh, locks all the windows and they see like a weird shadow against the windows it was
0: cthulhu um, of course right that's what everybody's <laughs> thinking i didn't think that but i'm thinking like what you know, I noticed you did depict the <laughs> uh, although Cthulhu's in the house actually, right? There's a little idol of him.
3: Oh, there is. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know if I did it right. I mean, I yeah, I just wanted to do a weird shadow, but I'm not I, I wish I'd done something something uh, different. Somebody said it looked like a one of the of fu- Futurama, so I was like,
0: "Oh, oh you're right. It, it does. It looks like uh, the uh Kiff." <laughs> yes, yes. Kiff with so. more fingers. Mm-hmm. What oh, those bottle windows um are also in um uh, the old, t- terrible old man's house, right? And I'm I'm not sure, sh- I'm pretty sure that that's just the style of window, but it made me think about uh, alcohol. You know, how uh, uh. people go on a bender, <laughs> not to bring in Futurama again, you go on a bender and it's like, there's bottles everywhere, right? So it, it's explicitly called out as they're, these look like the ends of bottles. But I believe that's just how old the windows are that, the glass has so many pains because making glass was hard in the old days and they made small ones. I yeah. don't, I don't think it's supposed to have this extra resonance of, uh, he was off on a drinking party at all. I don't think there's anything undercutting the story like that, but it's curious because, uh, it's possible to read it that way. Just, just, um, but the problem is, is with that theory, I think is, is he goes back and he resumes his life. Right. He resumes his life in a way that is probably safer than it seemed before. Even if, yeah, you say his, his spirit was trapped in fairyland. I li- I really like that. Um, and that fits in with a large tradition like, uh, uh, Mr. Skelsmer, Skelsmerdale in fairyland, uh, H.G. Wells story. Have you read that? No, it sounds exciting. It's really good. It's quite long for, uh, a short story, but basically we've got a, uh, a H.G. Wells figure who shows up in a small town and he overhears a conversation about one of the people in the tavern or whatever. And it's Mr. Skelsmersdale. And Mr. Skelsmersdale had some incident in his past and he doesn't want to talk about it. And he doesn't, you better not be a reporter. I've had enough. But our narrator wins his trust and eventually gets the story out from him. And it is essentially a. A retelling of La Belle Dame sans Merci, except with a lot more detail and a lot, uh, you know, less less of a, uh, you know, three minute poem and more of a thirty minute experience. And and what's interesting about that is, yes, you really don't want to leave fairyland. It is a powerful and amazing place, but it is also not neutral in the sense that it. It's fairies are tricksters, and they um, might make you go away in the same way that Hypnos makes one of the characters go away, right? Or makes two of the characters go away, in a certain sense. And uh, So he's lost something by going up there, but it's almost like the children of the town have um, gained that sort of uh, spirit that he left. And, and it's connected, I think, very much to this opening with the, with the knowledge coming from out of the grottos and the caves, Leviathan and going up, up into the sky and then raining down as dreams. It's, it's some sort of connection to like the, as Evan would always say on his podcast, vernacular knowledge, right? Yeah. That what people know as opposed to what the, he's teaching in university. He couldn't teach this, right? In his philosophy class. Um, and yet uh, this story also reminds me a little bit of one of my favorites of his lovecraft that is as ex oblivione. you guys know this one? Oh yeah. yeah. very brief story. Um, and it has uh, at the end it has that whiteness, right. So here it's the mist coming up and it makes like a blank canvas uh, over the rim of the world as opposed to the black uh, sky, the abyss of night. We've got this uh, return to this whiteness that's continuous, which is uh, the realm of the forms in my view. It's uh, uh, Lovecraft uh, doing another kind of reincarnation where you mm-hmm. go away and then you're pulled back to live in a reincarnated body, which he doesn't actually believe in, but uh, is obviously attracted to.
3: Yeah, the one, one of the very small changes that I think I intentionally changed when I was drawing the comic is I, um, in the original, it's the, uh, young men who are drawn to leave, drawn to the house. I, I just wanted, I just de that and I tried to draw it through some, some women as well. And changed it to young folk, I believe. I didn't want to imply that women—that I mean, I, you know—that women are tied to the mundane or whatever,
0: you know, aspects of sexism and or just erasure. I there are. No- I didn't even know. I didn't even notice the change. I'm not offended because I didn't notice. <laughs> 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 um, what I what I what I love is a uh, reading this, reading your version. It highlights things that are there that I'm not noticing, like when I re- I read it the first time myself, I like. Oh yeah, I didn't notice that. Like I I read it, but it didn't appear to me. And then you have these amazing. It's uh, I'm really into the symbolists. You know those painters from the late 19th century. Um, uh, they have there's a. If you go to the Wikipedia entry, there's like a, an old man digging a grave. This is the standard example. And uh, above the grave, uh, wheat stalks are growing in the winter. And then, above. The grave, looking down into the grave digger's space, is um, something like an angel with black wings, and she's holding something that is glowing green, and she's looking down at him. It's like, oh, time has come, <laughs> right? Uh, you're digging your own grave here, something like that. But it doesn't say that. That's my interpretation. And so when I see uh, your interpretation of what Lovecraft's saying, on, uh, this is on bottom of page fifteen. We've got the children, uh, boys and girls, um, running. You know, hearing the music of what's going on on top of the uh, on top of this high house cliff, and they're running up the up the cliff to the following the music, and we see these polyps, right? And then, in the bottom right hand corner this panel, it quotes that those venturesome youths. Oh yeah, you said youths, I guess, instead of boys. <laughs> no. We'll come back. They do not doubt, but they think a light may be gone from their eyes. So this, um, this, uh, now shows barnacles growing on some sort of, uh, rolling hill or rock or something. And, uh, barnacles open up and there's humans coming out, right? With their hats and their jobs and, it's it's like uh, it's a tie of the sea and this idea of tritons and and uh, all the uh, naiads and such um, as being connected to us in a way that you know these things are fantastic uh, in our youth and you know nothing excites my students more than I hand them a book of gods all these uh, Christian yeah. students mm-hmm. you know I hand them a book of gods and I say. Is is there a god of uh, forklifts? Let's check. <laughs> you know, and you start looking, and, you know. There's pretty much a god for everything. I I, I said, tell my students don't forget about Cloacina, the goddess of the sewers. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're all excited about it because these things are possibilities in ways that are not for adults. You try to tell adults about the goddess of the sewers, they're like, what are you talking about? right they yeah. don't care it's not it's not natural for them so it's almost like they they're going up there to play and something is taken away from them and that thing that's taken away from them is uh what makes them responsible adults you see what i mean yeah and In this is the it's horror just... that that the parents could you know see what's wrong with the kids is they, you know, they're playing the Dungeons and Dragons. They're gonna summon demons. <laughs>
3: yeah, you know, actually, now that you think about, not you're making me think about it. That this story is, in in a sense, it's a, it's a, another version of the return to childhood um, mm-hmm. of the like silver key. The, like with the silver key, yeah. but I honestly I find it much more effective because it's less literal.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. very metaphorical and very symbolic, and so we can read these things in.
3: So in, in my drawing, of course, you know, like, bar the bar, you know, that's, it's, it's pretty basic. Like adulthood is being a barnacle, right? You're, you're, you're stuck in place. You're, right, right. And like on the facing page, I just have, I, I don't actually, I don't, didn't draw it very well. So I don't know if it's even <laughs> I don't even know if it's even graspable, but in the, in the, in the, Panels where it's showing Olney's life. There's a cut to just a random shot of barnacles or a of oysters, sorry, on the rocks. So you know, you're oh. set when adults, it also means being sedentary. It means you're literally stuck in place. You're and whereas the sea or you, you the sea use uh, a more sort of amorphousness, mist. Uh, these are the two um, elements, the the two oppositional elements that I, hmm. I was trying to emphasize.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that when when he's coming down the mountain, you know in the morning and it says at noon elfin at horns rang over the ocean as only dry and light-footed climbed down the cliff and as he does so all these things are there in the background the little elfin things are there hiding for us to spot it's almost like if we're if we're climbing up there we can spot them too if we are looking with the right eyes and then he returns home, and there's his kids, and there's his life, and it, it's fine. Um, he's looking pretty old and sad in some of those panels, which I, I think is correct. But then uh, on the next page, uh, we get that image of him still up there looking very much like Lovecraft wearing glasses, um, singing, right?
3: Mm-hmm. I oh you know what I think in one version I might have even had him one version of the drawing I might have had them holding drinks in their hand but then I decided Lovecraft would hate that so
0: yeah give <laughs> <get> him an <laughs> ice cream cone
3: instead yeah <laughs> <laughs> drinking yes exactly yeah, ice cream cone is acceptable uh, acceptable pleasure of the flesh food, well, that's right obviously not right spaghetti <laughs> it's a straight it's like a crazy pagan fairyland uh, music party with lots of lore but it's straighted you know
0: yeah I like it.
3: Um uh uh yeah Evan uh, yeah what are your thoughts
2: uh um, well I kind of gave my main ideas about the story before so
0: um but. you threw all these night gaunts in that's uh yeah the dream bringers right it's not mentioned in the story but I I get the reference and I, I I'm down with it but I love the all the... Sea creatures. That's, that's the thing that's so different about this one. I'm, I can't think of another one. You know, there's, there are other sea stories like the white ship and, uh, Selfias has a little bit of the sea in it as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, it's, it's, it's really positive, right? It, and, and how is it that this guy who's, whose favorite town <laughs> on planet earth is a, is seaport and he uh he hates the sea I don't I don't I think it's like um it, it's it's not a straight up thing right I I was I was looking at Well
2: you up, could be afraid of something and still find beauty in it Indeed yeah Indeed. Yeah. but the way of he, of had two minds of it like yeah. I think the white ship you do have a relatively positive view of the sea as well
0: It's horrible too but not in a um in in a, in a uh, disgusting way, right? It's it's a uh, kind of a the horror of danger, um, mm-hmm. the horror of revelation. Here uh, here, there's this one shot of us zooming out past the high house on the cliff, and then we see the basically what looks like Celephaeus to me, the, uh, the celestial city in our minds of dreams, right? And then we. Dive da- down deep under sea, and then you combine it together with the streets of Kingsport, wh- with it's like uh, it's almost like from beyond, where these creatures are swimming through traffic and through people, and then there's that one kid there who senses it or sees it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's nice. It's beautiful. I think it's what the sea brings, Jesse. That is,
0: you're you're thinking he, they bring immigrants so. and strange. They bring folks. immigrants.
2: They bring weird, smelly fish things. That he doesn't want to eat, right? Yeah, tentacle things. Uh,
0: I don't want to eat them either. I'm. I, I <laughs> want to let let them stay in the sea, my my friend. Let, let I agree the, with you. Let the sea creatures the eat sea them alone. Um, I swim around with them. Just don't don't. uh you know. Don't eat. I'm so- the ones with I, tentacles.
3: I, I, I think <laughs> when I uh, drew this, I actually just watched uh, the Miyazaki film Ponyo. Oh, and that's, that's, oh, yeah, that's about as that's thugs. about as close to a uh, close to a Lovecraftian story as any uh, as any Miyazaki <laughs> film is. Like that's that's so much weird fantasy sea imagery. Um, so I, I was probably thinking of that here. Um, in yeah, I didn't even of the,
2: think of that. I, I just I get so excited by those kind of Wagnerian moments in Ponyo, where she's or yeah. she's a uh, Ponyo's running on the waves during the storm and, and the, I don't know who wrote the music for that, but there's a direct call out to Wagner in that. I mean, it's, it's a, about the uh, sea, it's about sea fairies, right? So, you know. yeah.
3: Um, so the castle, uh, so just, just to, just to let you know about the, the castle that I drew. Um, mm-hmm. so I knew when I, well, at the time I drew this, I knew I was going to put it in a graphic novel together, a stream quest of unknown Kadath, um, mm-hmm. So I, I just decided to try to make – to try to bulk up these connections that probably weren't there in Lovecraft's mind when he was – I decided to just sort of try to connect things. And so the castle is actually supposed to be Kadath because we've – I think mm-hmm. we've kind of – we can kind of – I think maybe we can – it's safe to say that the, the gods that are alluded to in this story are the are the same gods, the same lesser gods of Earth, the kind of gods that are in Kadath, mm-hmm. And only here they're the god, lesser gods of the sea. But I just – so we're going back. We're going so – there's something beyond – there's something beyond the strange high house that we don't see because there's some place the gods come from. And for, maybe it's the sea. But mm-hmm. I just decided I'd visually call out Kadath. So we're going higher and higher and higher. And what's higher than the strange high house is the realm of the gods. Mm-hmm. Um so even though it doesn't necessarily belong in the story, in, in the original story, I just, that was my attempt to, to tie it all
0: together. Uh, that works for me. In um, uh, speaking of ways of tying it all together, I think you did uh, something that's not in the story for the final panel as well. Um, so the line of dialogue... By the way, this is my complaint about uh, everybody's adaptations of Robert E. Howard's Conan, is if you stick to the lines that he wrote, you'll never have a problem. If you start making up your own stuff, you'll always have a problem because you're not Robert E. Howard. Um, <laughs> here is you're, you're using Lovecraft's words, right? So, uh, the end panel is as if the cliff's rim were the rim of all the earth and the solemn bells of the buoys told free in the ether of fairy. Um, but you have thrown in this cap, his hat that he lost. Um, I don't know, three or four pages back at least. Um, and that hat is the thing that those barnacles are wearing, right? It's the sign that you're an adult as opposed to the kids who just run around with tussled hair and can't be held responsible for their hats because they'll lose <laughs> them and all that stuff. So even though he becomes a responsible adult, this callback to that hat is like a, it's like a, uh, a ray of hope or something. In the same way that seeing, I guess, in the end of uh, Celif- it's Celaenias, right, where uh, the guy walks off the cliff and kills himself in his sleep, um, right? That's Celephaeus? I'm pretty sure it is.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the one where yeah, where he dies and but, he stays in the dreamlands though. But he, he stays the in done. the
0: dreamlands, right? And so that this idea that you know he's he's returned to a mundane life and he's. Um, you know, become uh, uh, less irresponsible on the weekends, running away from his wife. Um, Part of him still lives in this realm of the ether and the fairy. And uh I honestly, this is, I think, you know, I'm sure you guys have this problem growing up. I did. Certainly. I, I was like, geez, you know, I really don't want to do any of the things that people are suggesting. I do like, you know, go work for a law firm <laughs> or, um, uh, you know, have any sort of job that is, uh, horrible. I, I just didn't want to do that. And, but there's so much pressure to do that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to find my own way because I really don't want to be that. And finding that way, finding that way to be, um, is hard. Lovecraft thinks of himself as a gentleman, but he only has the one suit, right? <laughs> Yeah. A gentleman has a has a, a car, and he has a driver. And a, a gentleman has a house that he can have people over to, and not just a room. So, how do you find that way, and how do you keep that initial dream alive, and not bow down to it and become, you know, something that you would feel contempt for and hate your life? How do you avoid a midlife crisis? Is basically what it is, right? And uh, I think that. In holding on to the, that childhood spirit, uh, cause that's a really a very kiddie thing to do. You know, a man, uh, sees a house up on a hill and he's got responsibilities and he's not just taking the dog for a walk, right? Because the dog <laughs> needs to have a walk. He's going to investigate something like it's a, it's a, he heard a rumor about a silver mine up on the mountain, which is totally what I did, right? I found, I heard somebody say there's a, there is a tunnel connecting, uh, this lake with that lake and these lakes are miles apart. How is this possible? Ah, I go there and I find it. I'm like, oh my God, it's true. Right. And it's like, it's a huge thing. And you feel like, um, that's how life should be all the time (laughs) and not just a series of mundane commutes to work. Evan. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so i agree yeah. with you yeah uh, we we, we got to avoid that kind of horror that's the real horror the mundanity of of a terrible commute take your kid to Yeah, the, that's
2: an ex oblivione too but it's sort of he just the next he, line is like, so i took de- opium right yeah
0: he's massively depressed that character literally overdoses right in reality
3: well in ex oblivione it, it's literally it's really blunt and grim and harsh and almost thomas ligotti like it literally just states like and then he went to fairyland fairyland was oblivion and no not no non-consciousness and death the end right that's like oh no no he, uh, no story. it's
0: not the end because it, until he's called back again to the horror of flesh that's the real end it, he, he achieves oblivion oh it's so wonderful Oh yes, but unfortunately, I will be called forth again. Oh, in I didn't. Flesh. Oh yeah, I'll have to reread it's it. It's really good, and it's so short.
2: Well, you see this theme so much in the in the, like the streamline stories, right? Mm-hmm. It's there it was Carter, it's with uh, Exilivione, and in uh, Celephus, all these stories. But even on the in the horror tales, you know, readers sometimes will wonder, like, why do these guys keep picking at this scab? Because it's going to be yeah, horrendous. But but there's the that's the reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Some like Dagon, right? Why do you keep going farther into that that island or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, but there's the alternative is maybe worse.
0: But uh, the thing is, is there is real power and and des- like uh, uh, sleep is two things for me. It's oblivion, right, non-existence, yeah. but it's also the dreamland. Literally, I. I write down my dreams, and I'm like, I wish I could translate some of the things that I experienced to paper so that I could almost experience them again because they're so amazing. But, you know, describing a whole experience in words is difficult. It's why we need the uh, lots of synonyms and vocab words and all that stuff. But even so, um, it is exp- an experience that is... Um, it can be frightening, sure. There can be nightmare dreams. But they're also like, uh, they're not just power games. They're like experience. It's like much more like uh, computer gaming. You know, it's like it's experiential. You fall into it or a, a great story. You fall into it and you experience what's happened or a great movie or whatever it is. Um, and that is uh, special, especially if the outside world is depressing. I, I think this is largely, like, you know, one of the symptoms of massive depression is, you know, not getting out of bed. right? Mm-hmm. And it's not because, you know, you know, it's so comfy. It's because uh, that is the place where oblivion can be found. And mm-hmm. in oblivion, uh, even when you don't remember your dreams, you still have the experience, right? That having the experience, even if you don't remember it, that has to count for something. In the same way that, you know... What they say about uh, when you're given uh, uh, anesthetic, it doesn't actually dull the pain. It just makes you forget that you had it. That's kind of scary, right? (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't you prefer not to have the pain at all? I think I would. But if you're under a general anesthetic and you have this experience of massive pain, but you don't know that you had it because it causes a general amnesia during the period of its use, that's uh in the same scary way as um you know having a nightmare and not knowing that you had a nightmare when you woke up you just feel your adrenaline coursing through your body
3: so i feel this story is really um is really about lovecraft's uh, marriage and his place in life at the time when he wrote it at least that's my mm. that's my theory so i could so yeah i have a whole uh, i have a whole theory about it if you'll, mm-hmm. if you'll mm-hmm. permit me to ramble yeah. for a little bit okay so Essentially, this is a going to fairyland story, like Cephades, but instead of uh, instead of dying, the the person's soul essentially goes to goes to the other plane, goes to this transcendental experience, but their body lives on, right? Mm-hmm. And their body lives on and does all the responsible things that bodies do, right? Yes. And so, and so, I think the story is. Um, Basically motivated by uh, Lovecraft's conflicting desires with regard to, with regard to the world and also his marriage. Um, okay, so because on the one hand he wants to get away from it all, and he just wants to complete. He just wants to. Um, he he just doesn't want to live that that normal life. What I guess whatever whatever yep. you find as normal, he wants to go to. He doesn't wants to like you know be off and in fairyland we can talk to ancient sea captains and gods and uh um and experience these transcendental things which are so transcendental that as soon as Nodens shows up in the story you have to cut away immediately because mm-hmm. there's, so there's no stupid dialogue where Nodin's is like oh well now you have to help me fight the frog people or some whatever people <laughs> i'm, I'm saving up for out, a playstation
0: you know. five yeah yeah
3: <laughs> um but anyway so So there's this desire to escape – there's this desire to to escape the world completely, right? But at the same time, Lovecraft feels – he recognizes – he has a sense of responsibility. So he recognizes – he's afraid to disappoint a society. He's afraid to disappoint others. He 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 has a
0: lineage to uphold.
3: Yeah, and he has to be a gentleman, and a gentleman doesn't abandon their family, right? And so – so the solution in this story uh, I feel is this is something this is my interpretation of it is that the body remains to carry on these mundane tasks but the, the body remains the soul escapes so he, he has the best of both worlds gets this doppelganger essentially gets to stay on in the world and uh, and be a immortal, be a human being, be an ordinary human being right but the soul of soul of only goes to this unimaginable world. And the idea of being able to have your soul escape this unimaginable world is, you know, it's is you know obviously that, that has universe that has a great broad appeal. So the other sensitives and the creatives or whatever are also going to be drawn there. And then it, which and then there's like the tossed off in a few lines idea that this could lead to some kind of apocalyptic uh, conclusion. But mm-hmm. but um but that's my feeling about this is it's an alternate is it's like cellophase it's like Is you, you use anything to escape reality but the same but in but um but yeah but but that no you have responsibilities so another you so it's a dream that you can have it both ways you don't have to disappoint your family by abandoning them you know or by coming out or whatever you have this other you that lives on and does all those mundane things so meanwhile you are off in uh you're off in of fairyland having a big party
0: Mm-hmm. yeah sounds right yeah. although uh, although I, 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 I I'm getting the sense you think he, he was closeted gay um, no not
3: necessarily I mean I, I think that's one way to approach the story and um uh yeah I don't, I don't know I'm using, I mean I guess I'm using queer in a very broad sense. I feel it can be read that way but it, like I was saying before but obviously that I don't I think I it can be read really that
0: way but course. i I don't think there's a, there's no counter evidence saying it's definitely not and there's no Um, it's, it's absolutely open to interpretation and you're right. That's why they need to cut away (laughs) because, uh, I mean the, just the amount of detail you put into the images is like, uh, Oh my God. I love the, I love the little sequence where he talks. Right. And you, instead of filling it with, you know, made up dialogue, you filled it with uh, striking images of these sea creatures getting forked and speared. Right. And then the, this, uh, Storm that's happening and going through a temple, and then I love the, the sort of the image of of uh, Gulliver's Travels. a guy washed up on a beach mm-hmm. and people having their photo taken with it, like it's a Wait. a sea monster, right? That's actually a reference,
3: a rip off of a Daisy e. Ballard story called "The Drowned Giant," right? right. Which, which, the, yeah, which I guess uh, you may have. I don't know if you may have discussed it in the podcast. No, I but haven't, least, but. Isn't there it's a fan. Yeah, it's a fantasy story uh, where a giant body of a drowned giant washes up on the beach, and it's simply a few pages long, and it's really just a surreal, nice. surreal
0: piece. You know. I, I think there's a similar one called Towing Jehovah. I think. It's oh wow. Well. It's about hmm. uh, God's God died, and his corpse, his bloated corpse, shows up somewhere, and they're trying to get it out of the <laughs> out of the neighborhood because it's just a big stink. Um. And then later, uh, farther down, you've got this, uh, I mean, this is a perfect dream sequence. Uh, what do we call this? A montage, if it was in a movie, where you start with a, an hourglass. The hourglass comes apart and becomes two snow globes, and the snow globes polyp into uh, amoebas, you know, reproducing themselves or something and making new snow globes and then polyping again. So it's a sense of time um, and, you know being captured. And then we get this this striking image of space and volcanic and ancient Egyptian gods. And we get a, uh, one of those, um, uh, what is it? Clam bivalve with its uh, foot coming out, explore the outside universe. Right. And then we get those, those gods that I was, I was looking at and they're like, are those the ones that are on the front yard of the, of the terrible old man? No, they're slightly different. But they're similar to ones we saw earlier, and then we cut back down into the the living room where they're just sitting there talking, and we get the sense that this is what they talked about. It's perfect. Is yeah, the mountain supposed to be Hasag Claw,
3: it, which is actually referenced, which is actually literally mentioned in the story, oh. right? And um, and yeah, and then I I, I just uh, I was trying to mix this imagery because it's just. Yeah, because there's this again going to the, the, the distinction between like hardness and stone and like the sea and liquidity. Um, you know, uh, you know, you think of like an hourglass as being a the hourglass is a symbol of time and it's made of inorganic materials. Mm-hmm. So I, I must have just been looking at those Ernst. I was looking at those Ernst Haeckel prints of sea life by that 19th mm-hmm. century uh, uh, biological illustrator and so um so yeah that's how i can that's how i got the, the image of the hourglass that's sort of basically like fissioning off like it's actually a, a protozoan life life mm-hmm. form um, and also of the oi- the sort of mollusk the gdd.gad.gad geod- 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 mm-hmm. geod- clam or whatever that's embedded in this stone with these egyptian hieroglyphs and uh, um, so yeah i mean, I'm just trying to mix these or i was just trying to mix these organic and ocean images with this idea of like stone and eternity
0: and in the background i just noticed this in the background in the sky above the mountain and the clouds there are actually sort of s- constellation like gods with their hands out and making gestures and making perhaps the th- the winds and the glowing and all that stuff happen. And which is is it's it's really interesting i i want to ask you guys about the opening because the opening sentence doesn't make sense grammatically. There should be a comma here, and there isn't. And Lovecraft didn't correct it. I'm, I went and looked at the original to see if he, he changed it. And in fact, um, the audio that I sent you guys is missing the first paragraph. It starts with the second paragraph, and I'm not sure why the narrator did that. He, he starts with, now, uh, north of Archaic Kingsport. But the first sentence is, in the morning mist comes up from the sea by the cliffs beyond Kingsport. It should be, in the morning, comma, mists come up from the sea by the cliffs beyond Kingsport. Or am I fundamentally misunderstanding how grammar works? In the morning, mist comes up. Doesn't make any sense, does it?
2: Yeah, that doesn't make sense.
0: So, why didn't he fix that? Because he knows how grammar works. He knows where to put commas. Is it because it's so cyclical at the end it says almost exactly the same thing that he's trying to uh, make it that make, make us, this is something you do in poetry. You make somebody read it the way you want it to be read by forcing a rhyme, right? Or you, Hmm. you, you do something to bring attention to something that you, uh, you would do with an underline or an italics or something in the morning. Mist comes up from the sea by the cliffs beyond Kingsport. I don't believe there's another grammatical mistake in the entire story, and it's explicitly. I I went looked, and I'm like, "Where's the comma? It doesn't make sense, does it? You, you, it makes you want to read it. The morning mist comes up, right? That makes sense, but in the morning mist comes up doesn't make any sense. And
2: there's no. Well, in that last paragraph, he says morning mist still comes up. Right, and uh, so I'm so thinking that applies. It's the same morning mist.
0: It's it's this idea of this cycle of uh, in the same way that the uh, the sailors from or the fishermen folk from um, this town, Kingsport, use the natural sky dial. I want to say sundial, but it's a sky dial to point north in and and to tell what time of night it is by looking at what, what, is, what is obscured, right? <laughs> like. We're supposed to t- pay attention to the missing comma because that puts us in the right mind of thinking about how things work. This is, uh, this is something I noticed, I guess, first in university when I did a humanities course and the teacher was talking. We were reading um, uh, the Aeneid. Um, and at the end of the Aeneid, it ends with, uh, just after a peace treaty, um, our hero Aeneas uh shoves a knife through the collarbone between the collarbone and the neck down into somebody's heart you know killing him and uh i'm like wow n- noir ending <laughs> and the teacher says no no it's it's unfinished i'm like i don't think so i i think that's how it's supposed to end it's supposed to end with this darkness right where he's just broken a treaty and it's sort of the curse of rome and uh and that's the way i want to read it right And he says, well, if you look at the meter, there should be another thing to continue on, and so it's just unfinished. I'm like, how do you know that? I don't know why H.P. Lovecraft didn't put a comma there, but if you look at the original text, you know, where he's made all these corrections, and he's made tons of corrections, it's possible he missed it, but it seems like such a common one. You would read the opening a couple of times when you're writing. It could be something is just like a, something blocking your view, but it, it's really weird. Don't you think?
3: My guess is that it makes without the comma. It, um, it just flows. It just, uh, flows faster. It's just more of a single, single thought,
0: but uh, just um, get rid of the in. And then it, it's a good grammar. The morning mist comes up from the sea by the beyond Kingsports. Uh, <laughs> the in the morning mist comes up from the sea it, it draws attention to something but it's it's like a it's like to what's in the mist maybe it draws attention to
3: maybe it's doing its work cuz it's making us trip over the word that's mist, what i'm saying so we're lost right? in the mist
0: yeah. yeah yeah maybe it, it's a it's a little curiosity cuz he's pretty careful about this stuff right it's like um i'm i'm when i'm writing i usually have to go back and add all the commas but he did go back And he did fix stuff all over this thing, including, you can tell just by where he's inserted words and crossed things out. Um, You know, he's throwing stuff out all the time and replacing it with something else. Seems like just a little something to note. Hmm. Yeah, I think the only missing thing from this story is I I need to know more about Granny (laughs) 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 Orne Because she seems like she knows stuff, too in the same yeah. way that the terrible old man does and uh neither of them is they're they're also these solitary figures right there uh,
3: it'd, it'd be great if granny orn is also a wizard
0: like the terrible old man she has she, to be something yeah. right because she has, does have this lore she's been there around and she knows what's going on he can cons- it, it it doesn't say that he consults them the first time but he absolutely does consult them when when i think the f- terrible old man is mentioned first. It's, there's nobody there telling us this, but he de- then goes there and then he goes to, sh- to, he goes to Water Street and then he goes to, to Ship Street. And he's like totally down with, you know, knocking on people's doors and asking them what they know about this. And that's, uh, interesting because it is, there's a lot of knocking on doors and there's a lot of visiting these bachelors or bachelorettes or widows or widowers, right? It's yeah, you know. And well, she so could be
2: Simon Orne, Of course, is the like Kerwin's buddy, right? In case of Charles mm, Dexter Ward. Interesting. Like, well, like he had his, he had his like the other wizards that he was like in a little cabal with, right? They were exploring the the essential salts and how to live forever and all that kind of stuff.
0: Mm, right? Interesting.
2: You Simon know, Orne, he, Simon Orn may have been the pen or the the this, this, the the you know, the made up name of one of his friends. Cause they kept changing their name every generation cause they were living forever, but I'm not sure if to look back at the story.
3: It's interesting that that's uh, and I think this is, very classical that it's the really young people and the really old people who have the access to the uh, to yes. who have the interest or access to fairyland to to expand on what I, we talked about earlier.
2: Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a Stephen King thing too, where you got the the old sort of standing watch and you got the the the, the youth at the same time exploring the same phenomenon.
3: I was thinking recently that one of the definitions of one of the definitions of fantasy, by, to me, beyond like, oh, it's a place where there's dragons, in a story where there's dra- where there's orcs, you know, is uh, when it's when it when it's fantasy, that's set in the basic background of reality. It's where is the magic? Where it is? Where yeah. is the the hole in reality where you let magic creep in? And mm. it could be, is it there's drugs? Is it the magic of childhood? Is it the magic of old age, which is rarer, but we do see it, like in the story? Is it the magic of the ancient past, or is it the magic of some exotic faraway place, or some combination of those two, both those two things? You know, Um, I mean, yeah, the exotic place is the sea, and and where the all, I guess, everywhere where the sea leads in the story, too. But there's also the element of the the different of age and youth, and uh, uh,
0: there's no drugs. No. Uh, you, um, on page two, you, uh, did something that made me think, um, that Evans, or maybe something I said, uh, about them being widowers. There's a widow's walk on one of these g- gambrel roofed roofs, mm. um, which is something, you know, they had in the area for all the, those guys shipping out for Herman Melville stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they uh the idea of you know sending your sailor out to sea and one, oh, one of the things I do when i I'm reading this story with students is I have to explain like what things are like why buoys are important and why they're here here some of the things that happen is there's a conflation of the sound of the buoys with the sound of other things right at the beginning and the end um but i I just explain technically what a buoy is to students it's like there's like this floating thing out in the ocean it's in the harbor and it moves back and forth with the with the sea and if it moves violently enough you hear the bell that's in it and that tells the the fisherman that his boat is in danger and he should you know tie it up more tightly or something because it's a way it's like a it's like a lighthouse but for sound Mm. and just think just thinking about like why he puts that in there well it's because it's there right but he, he also doesn't tell you a lot of other stuff so why does he tell you that because it is that connection to the sea it means something's happening but it doesn't say why it's happening it could be there's a giant or a squid holding on to that thing and shaking it violently right it's it's just an inference that it's caused by this but you always are throwing in these images of what's going on in the sea and that is only really hinted at in the beginning and, you know, the end. And then with the story of what is being told, but you're always going back and showing us the lampreys and the fish and that there's the fish that are being, you know, hauled out of the sea by the fisher folk. And then there's this, all those shells and the bubbles and the, the copulation of uh, these creatures in that mysterious mass underneath so what's what's really cool about this location right is he's taken this kingsport uh place from a real place marblehead and then he's added a feature this mountain peak that he says like a frozen cloud yeah a gray frozen wind cloud right um and that is pointing to space as opposed to just the under the sea and he's making this vast connection. So when I, I'm i going through the vocab words with kids, I, I say, okay, an abyss is a bottomless pit, and they don't know what a pit is. So I explain what a pit is. <laughs> and I said, if you fell into a, an abyss, how long would you fall? And they say, a long time. <laughs> I say, how long is that? Forever, right? And so you make the infinity symbol, and you point down. Now, there are, we know that the earth has a certain size, so you can't fall forever into a bottomless pit, but you certainly can fall into one going the opposite way into the sky. And that's what he's saying, is that the sky is an abyss, right? That's what the word is here for. It's pointing us up and pointing us down and making those connections between the the creatures that are, you know, hugging the coastline near the water who make their living from the things underneath. And then there's this one guy who's a philosopher who teaches philosophy to all these fisher folk, right? And what's he do? he wants to ascend he mm. wants to get away from the mundane and look at that greater view down and he does that twice in the story right and it's, it, it, this is literally what lovecrafts doing with his you know astronomy and his articles about what's going on on pluto and how far away <laughs> it is and stuff like that it, it it is the opposite of the mundane it is the magical it's the magic of science and and thinking the awe of that it's It's why reading Lovecraft is, is joyful in a story like this.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of visual visually, when I, when I think of the story and I think, I I think of the, uh, I mean, it's just the closest reference to me personally. I think of the cliffs on the North side of the golden gate bridge, San Mm. Francisco, which are really steep and crazy and tall. Um, and uh, I have to say that when I went to Marblehead in real life, the cliffs were not that high. No, <laughs> no, it. they were not. They were not that high. I was disappointed, but but that's that's why It's fiction.
0: Mm-hmm. So. He's making it uh, that much more. That that part's fictional, but notice that's the most of the time he spends is is in ascent, right? And then that experience with the other, and then there's a the descent doesn't take very much time, but there is that view back down and seeing. It's um it's it's pretty wonderful. Uh, and uh, you know, it, I don't think this is my favorite. I think the Tomb is my favorite still. But they both have that aspect of going out into the woods and uh experiencing things that other people are uh treating as mundane. I I really like it. What uh, what ones have we done that you what ones haven't we done that you've drawn? I'm trying to think oh. we we done kadath as a one we did cell face, right
3: uh yeah i i think you, do, you must have done did I, we do sarnath? Me, I think um
0: because i really like sarnath too but i think i might have done it already
3: you i think you probably i, I actually i'm sorry i don't know i've, I've listened nope. to most um, of your lovecraft things but i some of them were a long time ago and i don't remember which ones so yeah i the only lovecraft adaptations i've drawn work are Kadath, cell Sarnath, strange i in the mist uh, and the white ship, and the beast in the cave.
0: Yeah, um, I think the so beast in the so cave the is ones. pretty insubstantial as a story. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't, yeah, I'd love to see your alchemist, which I think is way more substantial.
3: Oh man, I, well, I like the beast in the cave because um, it's it's fun, but it's it's,
0: I, it, it's, you know, it's simple.
3: I think it's about sexuality as well. As well. Of course, that's it my is my feeling about the beast in the cave, right? I, and is. honestly, this 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 was implanted in my mind because. I was re- I fir- before I'd even read The Beast in the Cave. I was reading about it in this fanzine, this 1970s Lovecraft fanzine, HPL, which my mm-hmm. dad had um in the in the library and, and and it it was this doing this Freudian analysis of Lovecraft stories and it said and it said at the age of 15 Lovecraft woke up to a fear of having body hair and he wrote about it in the beast <laughs> in the cave so I'm reading this when I was 12 and I'm like wow this is crazy I don't even have body hair yet this is what I have to look forward to a horror of turning into an ape monster oh my god so very formative experience you know I mean it's nice to have someone spell it out for you like that you know um so that's yeah anyways <laughs> but, I, uh, I, but i do uh, like the beast in the cave and i um even though yeah you're right it's a very it's, it's very, simple very it's simple game.
0: it's got a it's got a it's effective but it's very very simple um i i'd love to do uh, the doom that came to sarnath because i'm in love with your your uh they're not frogs what are they salamander people
3: I oh, the think. yeah, the Ibbites or Ibfolk folk or whatever. Yeah, yeah
0: and I've I, I I feel like I've done a show on it because I I've I spent a lot of time coloring the images and then talking to the students about like what's going on in the story and what this what happens because it's open to so much interpretation as to what happens. But that one is literally set in a dreamland, right? This one is the interaction between a semi-real place and the dreamlands and what that going into the fairy land does to a person. But that one, I don't think there's any, that's not anywhere on earth, right? It's, it's wholly set in the fairyland in a certain sense, because it it's almost, it's, it's very biblical that story, you know, it feels like it's straight out of the first half of the Bible.
3: It's set in the age of myths, I guess. Right. You know? So, uh,
0: yeah, it's um. If anyways, if you have if you to find out that you have <laughs> yes, it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. looking I I, it, I don't see it. it I I don't it. see that I've done. I've done forty episodes that uh, are out, and that's not one of them. Of, on Lovecraft, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Well,
3: I mean, yeah, I'd be happy to come back for that. And of cool. course, I'm always. I have to go soon, but I'm always. It's always a pleasure being on the show and uh, talking to you, Jesse, and you, Evan. Um, I so, uh, you know, and I mean, yeah, I don't know when I'll find time to do other Lovecraft adaptations. I actually, I mean, I, there is actually other adaptations of really old, really old fantasy fiction that I'd like to do if do I it. if I had time, but I don't. Just uh, but clone I don't, yourself. I don't talk, I don't put yourself talk in a high it. high house studio. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to doppelganger out because then I'll be separate. Then I won't be, then I. Well, you
0: can you go visit yourself. Open, right?
3: I <laughs> won't be involved in my daughter's life and my you know my yeah. with my wife and all that you know I like guess it's the uh, you know you gotta you're very, you seem to be very productive
0: yeah well until you don't right <laughs> just That's let true. go but you're not there yet so yeah, um, well, yeah. but yeah we only get the one life and you seem to be using it fairly wisely from what I I'm seeing in your output uh, um, so you're too kind you're too kind no I'm If I wasn't so proud of myself, I'd be jealous. (laughs) Well, I really should get going. Um, It's Uh, a pleasure. Off you go. Thank you so much. All right. Talk later. I'll send you a a ping when it comes out, and uh, you tell me uh, when in December you're available. (laughs) Sounds fun. All right. All right. Catch you later.
3: Talk to you later.
2: Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. My recorder is now working. It wasn't working a minute ago.
3: Do we need me to do a – I forget how you handle this. Do you need me to record on Audacity at this end or anything like that? I need me you to
0: record the full audiobook for me and then uh, <laughs> hand me that in about four minutes, okay? Now, All right. Uh, you can if you want to, but um, I, I have a recorder that's fairly reliable.
3: Okay. Well, if you – well, it's uh, if you, I mean, if you don't need me to do it, I, I won't. Uh, no, but,
0: uh, it, it okay. won't record both ends usually on your end anyways. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with Evans' mic because I'm not hearing anything.
3: No, from him yet. well, he could always Skype if uh, he, he can. He can contact. He'll figure, us it, he'll figure it out. Though.
0: Usually, the problem is, uh, you know, he he just got out of quarantine or something, so he's probably hasn't oh, no. set it up. Yeah, uh, back to Taiwan from Wisconsin, Minnesota. He, I don't know oh, Wisconsin. I think
3: he's in Taiwan now. Yes. Okay, I knew he was overseas, but I wasn't sure. Uh,
0: he was in China before. Then he went to. Okay wisconsin oh need to fix at something end? with the okay. 7, yes all right and then um and and now he's back in taiwan but uh just getting set up i think still um did you ever play uh, fallout 4
3: no i haven't no i haven't played any of them i played i played wasteland the 1980s wow. Comm- Commodore 64 game that yeah. was theoretically a predecessor
0: yeah it was um i i heard there was a wasteland uh, kickstarter at some point like a <laughs> You rebooted the game. I wonder what happened to that. I, I
3: don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have had to, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't play any video games anymore due to lack of time. But uh, I, I mean, I, I was yeah. a very. It was a very hard game. It was extremely hard. I never beat it just because it was so hard.
0: Um, I never played that one. That's one of the few ones I never got to play, and I greatly regret it. It was one of those games, early
3: games that had um, like a booklet with all the like text descriptions that the game itself did not nice. have me- enough memory for.
0: Yeah. I like that. I liked all those games: King's Quests and Police Quests, oh, yeah. and there was. Uh, I, I I saw somebody made one Surf Quest, S R F Quest, uh, recently. Nice. I nice. That it's was delightful. Good. Yeah, looks like there was a Wasteland Two came out in 2014. I don't, huh. I don't know what happened to it. Obviously, yeah, I mean, who knows? I don't know. There's.
3: I mean, I can only maintain nostalgia for so many things at once, right? I mean, it's, dude, uh,
0: it's overload. Yeah. I like nostalgia <laughs> for things I've never seen before. That's my favorite. But that's that's good. That's
3: a good one. <laughs> so as how's, how's your mom's dog doing?
0: Uh let's see. There was the, the puppy. She's got a new puppy since then. Um <laughs> the uh your old puppy is he's good. He uh he just had some uh what a neutering surgery.
2: Oh and, my goodness, Can yeah. you hear me now? There you uh. are. How you doing? Yeah. I, I'm using this Yeti now. Oh, you got it. Good. IPhone. Was well, it muted? Mute button on is what was the problem? No, I. There was something with the settings. It was trying to feed this micro, the speaker through the Yeti or something.
0: Yeah, if you put your headphones into it, that's what I'm doing. Um, it'll yeah. it'll work, but if you're not plugged into it, it doesn't help you at all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I had to good. change the
0: settings. Yeah. Um. How's uh, what's the story? Are you in a new place? Are you at your wife's place? Where are you?
2: Yeah, I'm at our our normal place, Uh but I have to get an apartment real quick. Yeah, you were saying. (laughs) uh,
0: What's the uh, how far? You said the commute would start at four thirty if you were going there every day.
2: Probably. Have to be there at eight.
0: That's a long way away. I didn't think Taiwan was that big.
2: Well, it's traffic, and mm. I'd have to take a bus, then two subways, Wow. and then a 30-minute walk.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's... Or another bus, so... A daily commute is no joke.
2: Yeah, I can't do it. I, Ugh. I actually wonder if I'm getting a job is so I can give, give uh, my wife extra money to get an apartment near her job, too, because it's... I don't. I don't want that commute for them either. You guys need to build
0: a uh, tutoring studio right, like next to your house. <laughs> not in your house. Next to your house.
2: Yeah, this neighborhood's not the best for that. No, for the market. No. Uh, um, I barely see them during the weekday, anyways, because they get back so late. So uh, it's just, it's fine. I'll have a. I'll, I'll do the week weekend commute.
0: Jason, your you commute see, is like to your your studio from your bedroom. Is that right? Well,
2: my commute is to the baby's room, and then to the park uh,
3: two or three times a day. So wow, that's a lot yeah, of vitamin pretty, D. <laughs> well, not no. You forget we're in San Francisco. You forget we're covered by a, a you're like a like much. To, I like this place in the story. We're covered by a thick blanket of fog. Save you know, it. I'll say it. it for the podcast. Just trying to tie it back. yeah um, <laughs> uh, Oh, uh, I just wanted to say, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I actually have should probably try to, get, to keep this on um, to keep this at an hour and a half. Okay. I'm sorry to say that, but that, but I should, I, I probably have to run it. Well, at, we'll, we'll
0: uh, do an hour or so of um, chatting, <clears throat> and, and then after you leave, we'll just t- talk trash about you for another oh, a, two that hours or so. Good. Cool? Okay. okay. All right. Excellent. That's a plan
3: um good but yeah uh but i uh, know but there's only three of us
0: yeah um us trish here, so. trish dropped out um she oh. she also is moving um oh, the overlords who control uh housing prices uh <laughs> so she's moving in with her sister in maryland and i think she was uh she said she would be burned out by the time she got got oh. got there um she's moving up from north carolina there's a lot of podcast people in North Carolina. I don't know what what uh, well, what the reason is, but like, there's nobody in South Carolina and tons in North Carolina.
3: Well, I want I want to say I love this story, so I'm uh, I'm. I'm just gonna. I'm eager to blab about it, but I'm gonna try not. I'm gonna try to maintain. We we'll talk about other conversational stuff. Conversational
0: skills. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could do baby talk all day if you like, but <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you're probably familiar with that. I'm pretty familiar with it. Yeah. yeah.
3: But although she's using, she's actually the other. Just now, she's saying sentences like, uh, "I am reading the book, and wow. I want to watch more
0: Sesame Street." Awesome. So, uh, it's uh, yeah. No. Uh, hey, Daddy. Let's go, Brandon. pretty much whatever yeah oh my god
3: um did i sorry dumb question evan i'm trying to tie this i'm trying to get no super nosy but you say they i I, do you have uh, children or are you talking about your wife and some other person or your spouse and some other person
0: uh yeah my daughter oh okay cool who is a very good artist by the way you uh, should have a look it's she's pretty good i
2: can send you her instagram you can tell oh me if goodness. she has any right. she she potential
0: so she's probably about 20 years older than my daughter
3: do- my daughter okay
0: yeah she's teens yep. years older i think cool. right
2: 15 yeah all right um give you her instagram
3: cool beans
0: i'm not an instagram person but i'm gonna look and see what what's new.
3: all right well uh it oh depends- yeah Great Good pleasure stuff. doing this with you all, and thank you so much for having me on, and let's, you know, whenever you're ready.
0: <laughs> no, you gotta look at the Instagram first. Oh, uh, all right, all
3: right.
0: A lot of faces is what I'm sensing, a lot of faces. There's one fruit. Well,
3: she's already way ahead of me, then, because that's the one thing I'm, that's the thing I'm
0: least comfortable with. Yeah, you, 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 you avoid eyes.
2: <laughs> There's some, uh, like, older ones I really like, where she did this, uh... Weird interpretation of like, uh, of, of these Egyptian gods.
3: Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, and she's got them, uh, modern, yeah, and she's got
2: like Nut and Geb, uh, no, no, this way this back, is, like this last is really year. Really cool. I
3: mean, I can see she's done a
2: couple of things like that.
3: No, I and mean, she's great. Uh, mm-hmm. she's look look all those hands stuff, when though. I was 15, certainly. And those, those hands, hands are incredible, yeah. Also, the, I love this the grass, grasshopper with the fungus growing all over it. It's very surreal. Mm. Cool me. No. Yeah.
2: I, yeah.
0: I, I, I think I she's mentally right screwed that. up Great. from Lucky. from uh, all. The, what I'm looking at is a very disturbed child who's been on uh, <laughs> the internet and uh, looking at pictures of things and thinking were their own <clears throat> thoughts. She should go back to school and only listen to what the textbooks say. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> She's also in that weird school where it's it's like a homeschool kind of co-op thing, and they do all kinds of... Like, they were building a house for, like, the last two months.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's awesome.
2: And it's just, it's just nice. Not every day, but I think three days a week. Or doing, building some kind of shed.
0: We'll only let me preview so many before it tells me I need to sign up, which I'm not going to mm-hmm. do. No,
3: Insta- Yeah, no, I love I love Instagram. Actually, I I, I love it. Uh, it's a very interesting. Uh, it's one of my I'm, I'm going to like it more and more. <laughs> but, I I don't want to have to switch,
0: so <laughs> uh, I well, need my total yeah. bad political takes all day as well. <laughs> exactly.
3: Um. All right. All right. Yes, talk. I know.
0: I know you need to get started because you're so excited. Here I'm we go. You excited. ready? Sorry. Sorry, I'm so excited. It's all right. Um. Uh, let me get a Wikipedia entry out so I don't fumble everything. Uh, strange. Hi. House. Here we go. In the mists. That's the one. What time of morning is it for you now?
2: 8.30. Wow. Have is you been up all night? This is better than uh, the Sunday morning one. Is it? Okay. Well, well, Sunday morning's like midnight. Is it eight 8.30 a.m. though, right? Well, now it's daylight savings, or oh, not daylight savings. Not yet. Soon. I then think. it's like midnight. Then it's, I think it starts okay. at midnight.
0: Paul doesn't like this time slot, but uh, it's he's when he's not here to book. I'm not. Uh, I'm not gonna make special arrangements to book. I just book when
2: people are available. Yeah, he hasn't been around much. Uh, I had that trip
0: right. Yeah, whenever he goes on a trip, he gets out of the booking cycle, right? Yeah. and if he's gone for he does that a lot he goes on like seasonal uh trips right i don't i think he did one in the summer and and then uh he goes away for whatever period of time um uh, it's not something that lifestyle where you work 8 8 hours a day is not something i envy and and then looking forward to your brief trips to places not something i envy at all
2: well i don't know like i find even if you have a job, the trips are just work. I, I, I remember when my dad would take us on these vacations. It was just like so stressful for him. Yeah, because he had his job, and then he had to like pack, and then it wasn't. It was like we're gonna go go, go camping or something, mm-hmm. go out to South Dakota camping on the way, and it's like, well, fuck, I gotta go shopping. And <laughs> yeah, it's just and it's and expensive. It's, it's like another job. I I don't like travel to be honest. Well, you do it like, a lot for a guy who doesn't like it, but. I like going. Like I'm fine going to another city and living there yeah. for for a year or two. That's 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 different. Cool. We get yeah. to know the local people. Yeah, but I think that's pretty. I have no desire to like go someplace, go to Paris for a week or or tour it. You know, of Western Europe for half a week, for half a month. You need just, to do.
0: You need to do a little bit of traveling just to, so you have the experience of having done it, but
2: uh like i do want to go to namibia but you know wow. unless i get a fulbright or not a, you know or something like that you're not woken where, up Evan, where i can have half a year at a university there or something
0: to, to get that you need do to be it. far more woke uh, and and I, have published and basically it's you just need to know people yeah and uh you know who, who could probably hook you up with that is uh Brian Alexander he, he
2: knows everybody yeah I think you're starting to need a university post my uh, my colleague at st. Thomas went on one to Chile and he, I remember he gave his like post sabbatical talk you mm-hmm. know it's like we're gonna be a semester off paid but you got to give some kind of talk right there's got to be something for it Yep. and he he was, was like showing pictures of who he's hanging out with like yep. he didn't do any research as far as I could tell.
0: Uh, you know who did that a lot is um Eric. Eric yeah. talks about on the on the reading short and deep. He talks about like when I lived in Italy, <laughs> 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 and when I lived in Spain, and then he pulls out his his uh, Spanish accent, uh, <laughs> and it's because you know he did get a sabbatical or goes to lecture there and they live there for six months or a couple years or whatever and uh you know it's it was one of those posts where you know he's he's still getting the perks from it uh from university of michigan and they don't have those jobs anymore right yeah those jobs are gone because uh i guess capitalism (laughs) the evolution uh, of the
2: uh this uh, is kind of like an old marxist theory right that when capitalism can't expand anymore, mm-hmm. it starts to consume, I mean, it has to keep expanding to survive, so it, it starts to consume the public sphere, the public services that were created. So, like, back in the New Deal time, capitalism didn't have to encroach into prisons and education because it could expand to China mm-hmm. and expand to other places eventually. So desperate to get uh, into Venice, but not, Maryland, yeah, like So Cuba. you had the... The Cold War ended, so capitalism could expand to those places. Um, but now it just consumes it, it, its own self. It's the final stage, seems to be. Of so, in Marxist theory, it's the final stage of capitalism when, when you start having privatization of schools and prisons and and universities just become another. Of uh, like Harvard just becomes what? What is it now? It's basically like a hedge fund with yep. the school attached. Yep. It's uh, a – Did you see about their strike? So the graduate students went on strike at Harvard? No, I didn't hear that. I could kind of just followed on Twitter a little bit. I didn't really keep much of it on the news. But the graduate students went on strike, and they – I guess they didn't keep good track of who was on strike and who was still showing up to teach their classes. Wow. So they sent, like, a mailer, like, please report how many days you were on strike so we can dock your pay. Wow. <laughs> and I wonder, like, they have, like, what, a trillion dollars or whatever in their endowment? Mm-hmm and they're they're bad. They're horrible. Yes, they are.
0: And they produce a lot of horrible.
2: My wife's a Harvard graduate for a PhD. Well, she should be able to get you a job. They keep asking for money though. <laughs> oh, of course We had do. a hard time getting a job, you know, cuz yeah. in Miami we couldn't get one and in Taiwan if you even if you're Harvard if you're if you're, if you're not connected well you end, you, at a, you end up teaching at a at a, at a school like, uh, like i'm gonna uh, do
0: but that's what i think you should you know if if either of you has a a head at all for business you should definitely open up a tutoring center um and you basically I, I that's can, what you do is you you know you advertise your wife's um, harvard thing because i, I don't have a uh, pedigree like that mine's i went to college and then i went to university i went for a long time so i'm really good at what i do but, um, I, uh, I don't have the pedigree that makes them say, Ooh, Ivy league. So, um, but I, I'm earning money from my boss, but cool. it's cause I don't want to do all the shit that he does, which is, you know, finding students. So if you're at all, you know, if your wife is good at that, you know, schmoozing a little bit with, uh, parents, um, once you get the word out, it seems to be like self-perpetuating. Yeah. And having that. Yeah, I uh, wish I was uh, good at business. It's it it, it's something it needs like it's something that needs to exist. You have to sort of run the numbers. (laughs) I'm not great at it because it's I find it incredibly boring that part. But in the classroom I'm dynamite. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. It,
0: it, I'm gonna have to
2: teach young kids. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of nervous about. Oh. No, like I like that's the job I got. Young kids.
0: My, uh, I just do pairs so all day. Like next year <laughs> they'll
2: they'll give me AP courses, but mm-hmm. right now apparently they hired they hired a guy who couldn't get to Taiwan because of COVID restrictions. Mm. So he's been teaching online. So they they finally just fired him. But I gotta teach ancient civilizations to like eighth graders.
0: Doom that came to Sarnath, yo.
2: Yeah. I don't even know where the guy's at, like where he left off, if he did anything for those two months. Don't know. But it it's it's all fun. Um
0: Yeah. Little kids are I think that's lots a good that's that's something kids. I, oh, I love, love it. Love. Yeah.
2: Uh, the ancient civilizations, they dig that stuff. Just
0: give them a book of uh, uh, the Egyptian, give them a pantheon of Egyptian gods, and then talk about uh, the Temple of Horus and the Temple of this and and uh, the Pharaohs and the tombs. And, and then you go to uh, Ur and Babylon and all those good,
2: fun places. Yeah, that might be over. He might have gotten through that stuff. Maybe just go back and start from the beginning.
0: I, I honestly, can't imagine. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you give them good stuff. Yeah. Because it, they're like little sponges. They love that shit. The littler they are, essentially the easier it is, but the shorter the classes have to be because yeah. their attention can only be sat so long. But I, 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 that's, I love my job. Like I really enjoy tutoring. I don't want to do it six hours a day, but I love tutoring. And mm-hmm. the older they are, the easier it gets in one direction and the harder it gets in another. Easier is like, um, I can help them more, but they're more temperamental, you know? Kids are easy to entertain. Like, I <laughs> just, just, um, <laughs> talk about poop more. <laughs> it works great. They love their poop. <laughs> um, yeah, my sister steals whenever I talk about she says, how's it going? I usually talk about, you know, work with her because that's a safe topic. And, uh, she's, oh, I, I should steal that. And I'm like, sure, here you go. Um, and uh, what's funny about my job, I, I don't know if I told you this before. I started tutoring right after high, uh, university. And, um, and I've, except for right at the beginning, I started working for a company. A company has changed hands like four times. And all the everybody's changed. The bosses have all changed. The, the teachers have all changed. All the students have changed. The only continuity is me. <laughs> <laughs> like the the locations changed like three times. You should be the boss. I I, I I am the boss in my little classroom. And then my my boss writes the paychecks and um, he does like um you know all the what the parents want. And I'm like okay okay. And then I do. What the parents want as lo- as much as I can. Sometimes what they want is impossible. Um, but in the classroom, the way everything's done is my way,
2: and and there's almost no marking at all,
0: which is the most important thing you
2: can ever. Th- yeah, I, I think I'm going to try to not mark. I my my the Hangzhou the China school they wanted grades all the time. The parents liked it. Yeah. They feel like and they're. They kept saying, like, it's, it makes the students feel good and it gives them opportunities to improve their grade. I, I'd much rather do, like, big evaluations every quarter or something, you
0: know. Or just uh, qualitative, make them do stuff.
2: Qualitative evaluations. Make them produce content
0: system. is what I, I'm yeah. like. Where's your, where's your drawing? Where's your uh, story? And then you have them show. And then if the parents want to talk, you talk to the, the parents. And because mm-hmm. the grades. Are what drive kids to hate school. Testing is what... But what I say to the students is when you learn with me, uh, there won't be no tests. I'll be testing you all the time. I'll say, what's this mean? We just did this 10 minutes ago. Come
2: on, man. (laughs) Well, the nice thing is I think there's like 80 teachers at the school, like foreign teachers, and then there's Chinese teachers, Taiwanese teachers. So it's uh, a bigger school. So maybe I can hide i can hide more mm-hmm. and just do my own thing mm-hmm. i don't know maybe it's the other way maybe they're more bureaucratic. I don't know. but when i was at that at in china there was like 10 people mm-hmm. in our ap center so the principal is always like keeping tabs on what everyone was doing yeah maybe it'll be easier to hide maybe i can just do that because I, I really don't want to do grades that much
0: especially
2: not for those younger kids it
0: doesn't help anybody literally the reason it's kind of like an accounting thing to make sure that nobody's getting ripped off but the problem is in spending any time doing that you're ripping everybody off and i understand why it's needed because the idea is this is checking to make sure that you're not killing kids checking to make sure that you know but the thing is is uh, those it can all be faked and since that's true, um, how is it good accounting, right? Mm-hmm. The auditing should be – you go into the classroom every now and then. You see that everybody's making productive work and nobody's crying all the time or sulking or
2: whatever.
1: Yeah,
0: You know, crying and sulking happen occasionally. But <laughs> if they're making productive use and, you know, leverage, leverage your uh, – your real life. I do it all the time. I I make my students uh, stars by putting their uh, stuff up on Twitter. I say, look, this one's so good. I'm gonna take a picture of it and put it up, and then people like it and they get really excited. And when they find out I've got like two thousand followers and they know what a follower is, that they're like, oh my god, oh my god. I'm like, yeah, I'm a f- I'm amazing. I'm a celebrity. I'm famous.
2: <laughs> yeah as long as, as long as they they, they walk, bosses walk by and say students doing something yeah yeah their, their work on the walls and I'm gonna be like oh, we're being really productive here yep I'm and not gonna trans uh, well I guess I'll have to at some point translate it to a grade but
0: uh, you could you could basically you could tell them what how the system works right now the problem yeah. is if you do that you have the kids who are trying to game the system um and that is actually a serious problem right? You know, if you bitch.
2: Oh, definitely, yeah, it's it's really bad here.
0: Because right. it it trains you to do that, right? It, it, and so like if you tell them what the system is, um, I, I, and I, that's a lot of what my job is. Is I'm like saying, okay, the reason you have to care about this is because the teachers take off marks. That's what they look to do. If you're missing a comma, you're not capital. That's a minus. You just got a lower grade. Mm-hmm. So you got to remember to do all the things, and then. On top of making it grammatical, which is important, you also want to make it fun so you get it done faster and you can do what you want with your extra time. And and you know, trying to unteach them all the horrible lessons they've learned from from school is uh, it's probably the biggest challenge there is. That's why when you get them young, it's it's pretty easy. And then there's you know, I find girls are a lot easier. They love school a lot more than boys. Boys are. I mean, I've I've had some boys who are really big into school as well, but they they tend to be pretty weird boys. Oh, odd, maybe it's a bit. No. Unusual? But how about that? I don't know. One of those words, not in the mean. Maybe they're gay. That's what I'm saying. I wasn't saying.
2: into school. I hated school. I hated it. So. That's good.
0: Um you missed a good show that's coming out I think. Uh tomorrow? No, Monday. Um I was show noting it. Uh Gulliver of Mars. You didn't sh- you didn't do that book with us. Nope. Such a good book. I know it's by a British guy, but it's about Americans and it's very good.
2: Yeah, I think you mentioned it.
0: I must have uh, cuz I was enjoying the show noting on that one. Okay. I
2: remember the Ganymede Takeover. I think I was on vacation when we did that one. Ganymede Takeover. Uh, yeah, that, that's
0: I don't remember good. the episode being great, but I remember reading the book.
2: Yeah, that had that weird audio book, remember? Yeah. The yeah. cast, people were laughing during yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, to Live Forever. That, that came from that's the pretty good book. book, I think. Right? Uh, no, Vance. I think that was Paul's uh, suggestion.
0: He really wanted to do Jack Vance. Um. But Jack Vance, uh, yeah, I don't think that was the magic one. I think that was a science fiction immortality one. Mm-hmm. Um, Ganymede Tinker, Dancing Aztecs, don't remember that show at all. Shadow of the Vulture, that uh, one blends in with all the other Howards, but uh, I think it's good.
2: Oh. Bartleby, there's a so revival. That's my last China one. So that was my last one in China. Oh, that's a while ago. Uh, yeah, the June. Oh, yeah. and Fra,
0: I, I just noticed uh, that uh, "Wonderful Adventures of Fra" is connected to Gulliver through the comics, which it's the same author. But Anubis mm. Gates, oh, you're not on that one. Sea Scout, oh yeah, I guess you're. Watcher, the threshold. There you are, and we did uh, the troop. Red Planet. So next week is the Star Beast, and um, I was gonna. Oh, you're not on for that. What Why are you not on for that?
2: Uh, I was probably thinking I,
0: Fred is, um, my
2: schedule or something. Fred is, is out. He's bought a house and he's dealing with that. Um, I mean, what is it? Sunday? Yeah. I mean, no. it's my first, that eight, it's my first day of work the next day, 7am. My first day of teaching. Uh, well,
0: it's up to you. But 7 a.m. That's is now changed to 8 a.m. if that's cool with everybody.
2: <laughs> well, that's, that actually makes it worse. I know, I know. I probably won't do it. I just, I did read *Highline* just now. I read Double Star. Good. That's a good one. The other day. I did a show I still, on it. I was thinking, like, how, like is this even – I mean, it is a science fiction novel. Yeah, it does, it's very not, right? But it's like this is more just about, like, an actor and acting and yeah. politics and stuff it's like it was kind of a bizarre novel i thought
0: it's very um influenced by other books it didn't
2: need to be said in it could have just been said in our time i guess
0: uh we did a show on it in 2016 Mm -hmm. and i I think i compared it a lot to uh what was coming from but also like the movie dave if you remember that movie yeah i remember that movie it's basically this right um, well, they
2: deal with that in that movie, Dave, the thing that I kept waiting for Highland to mention, but he, he kept, kind of kept the sect out of it. It's like, you know, yeah. doesn't. The, I guess the wife did know in that eventually, you know, in, in that. But uh, if you uh, look at it's this. Dave, there's that scene, right, where she walks in on him in the shower and it's like, you're not him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in
0: this uh, post, there's all the illustrations from Astounding, and it was fully illustrated. It's really good
2: yeah that was a good book I, th- I think that's yeah, one kind of the of one I've read the all most old science these science fiction books I have now that I'm back here good
0: so um, Midwich Cuckoos is out there I think yeah Scott took himself off of that one um, and then Klim's uh, Cl- Journey Underground yeah i'll be on that for that one
2: you want okay oh yeah you're there okay and people that's something to say about people it
0: people of the black circle
2: geez oh, no. when did you add caleb williams that's awesome
0: okay let's do it um uh what happened was um i'm adding you uh william
2: godwin is amazing
0: okay so what happened was i was watching twitter and uh what's his name brian said it's Yes, I think he had a T-shirt on that said "My favorite book." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I'd never heard of it, right? And then he explained it a little bit, and I'm like, "Okay, sounds good to me." Because he's uh, he's big into the Gothic. He, I think, he did his dissertation on it, the Gothic or whatever. Um, I've never read it, but yeah. I, I heard of uh, William Godwin. So,
2: no, if you like the the Brown stuff, it's yeah, kind I did. Of, you could tell they're they're very. I think. Brown was influenced by Godwin. Good. In some of his tales. Yeah. Like the wheel and stuff, just that, that weirdness. Because mm-hmm. the guy's being like chased, and it's not really clear what, who he's being chased by. Is, and that's like borderline supernatural. Wild stuff in there. I like that. Okay.
0: Well, um, I'm going to go pee. I've had uh, All right, I'll three see cups you of coffee and a cup of tea.
2: And it's filling me up. I gotta get some coffee. A good idea. Uh, I haven't been to the store really to get coffee. I can't ban it. I can't live on this tea. Tea's
0: good, but coffee's better for some things. Yeah. Tea is evening, coffee is morning.
2: I agree. Early afternoon, maybe. Coffee can be an evening too. I I have more wild dreams if I drink coffee. Oh, certainly.
0: Certainly. But uh, I, I. I don't like not being able to go to sleep instantly, and sometimes coffee can. Oh yeah, it.
2: I, I, I won't be able to. S- I love being able. But to I was graduated to z- drop drop like drink coffee all day and sleep fine, but now I it keeps me up a little bit. It's
0: important to not to regulate and make sure that you're
2: you uh, on, right, uh, on
0: the right on the right caffeine cycle.
2: It's hard for me. I'm more whatever feels good at the moment i, I am, do
0: it i know but that's it's uh mo- moderation in all things including moderation you're, you're just like oh moderation occasionally <laughs> <laughs> maybe but uh, it, at least it keeps you up uh, late for late night
2: podcasts yeah yeah
0: all right i'll uh, talk to you later it's weird to do this on yeah, saturday see.
2: I like it. It's a good time. Okay, I just get up early on Sunday. That'll work. And I'll see you.
0: Talk to you later. bye bye Your Please secret
5: do. comments about him. <laughs> I, I tell this like... to him as well. <laughs> oh, not Tony Smith. I, I
0: don't. I haven't talked to Tony Smith for years. But um, for Scott, sure.
5: Oh yeah, I figure you already like Scott. Already knows.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he sees it too. Yeah, it's not what a cliche. A good guy, exam- oh, he's a great guy. And it's not like he, you know, he's uh, abandoning everything. It's just, he, um, he's very excited to be involved in all these exciting things. And then the nuns call
4: <laughs> Scott, <laughs> the nun- we need you to do more work. Call.
0: We need you to help indoctrinate people into our old religion. And he says, Oh.
4: Now, 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 you're, now you're being cruel and not nice, Jesse. So don't do that. Is there a no? That's literally his job. <laughs> what yeah, do you mean, yeah, cruel? Yeah.
0: That's literally what he does. He like somebody Doctr- comes.
4: Doctor is is a pejorative. <laughs> word. I don't think so. I think so. Indoctrinate. Hey, I, mean, not, I, I, I think. I think. I think you're being unkind. Teach a him.
0: person to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Teach or instruct someone both. Oh, that, that one says archaic, but um, that's literally his job, right? His job is not to say, now you have to question the Pope whenever he, he's not sitting on his throne. <laughs> his job is to say, you know, these are what we as Catholics believe. Um, so, yes, things evolve over time, but this is our set of beliefs. And you, as a person who wants to be a Catholic, this is what you need to know. We dance this way, not that way. Not no use of the hands. <laughs> Do <laughs> Catholics not use their hands when they dance? That's
4: Paul, just an example. To... No, no, no. no Jesse's. That's just, he's just an example. again.
0: How dare you mocking my voice, saying <laughs> I'm mocking Catholicism,
4: <laughs> saying he's pissing. Yes. What I, I mean, I mean, if you're going to get upset for someone saying they are pissing, then, you, then 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 you are a special snowflake.
0: You know, um, the the word pee is a replacement for the word piss because people didn't like the word piss so they just I have to pee and they took away the rest of the word the letter P true story when
5: did it happen
4: is that a true etymology now I gotta know please look it up
0: this is is what happens Jesse says something and then Paul says that can't be true Which I didn't is say good. It can't be true. Which is good because I, w- that I, means
4: I just wanted confirmation.
0: That, uh, it's good because
4: um, you, you were right. Late 18th century <laughs> euphemistic use of the initial letter of piss. You are correct. There you go. So,
5: like around the time of the American Revolution, people were just like, "We can't be pissing everywhere."
0: That's right. And and they were It's not like they were saying, "I'm gonna u, I'm gonna u and and a all
5: over
4: everything." <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for a u. Well, <laughs> well, you, but u and comes from Latin. It's it's often the Anglo-Saxon words that get, um, elided like this.
0: Speaking of which, did you know that uh, caffeine and urea are related? <clears throat>
4: They're both they're both chem- they're both biological chemicals, so they're
0: urea is a is a precursor to making caffeine, and um, wait
4: uh, no it is. Uh, uh,
0: I love this. We're getting really warmed up today. And aren't here's we? Here's what happens, Jesse. Go Jesse on. does a lot of studying, um, and Paul says that can't
4: be true. <laughs> oh, it, it, it synthetic caffeine. Thank you very much. It's produced by chemical synthesis of urea as a raw material. So,
0: all those. That's, um,
4: that's not and, thats not how it happens in the plant. I didn't say that. You, you, you said it's a precursor. You said, you said urea is a precursor to caffeine, which is only true in <laughs>
0: all, synthetic caffeine. All, you mean so like is- all the energy drinks that everybody's chugging? They're pee. And they're not pee. They're turning it into pee. That, what, what's funny is they make urea, which is very close to urine, right? Um, and it's also close to ammonia, uh, chemically. And what what they do is they convert it, up upscale it, um, and then it, you, you put it in you, and then your body converts it back into something that it can process uh, out of you. It's fascinating. And get this, Paul. Another thing you're going to have to look up because you won't believe me. Uh, I... It's, it's, from, well, it's from. from
4: it's from like coal tar. What's what's some coal tar? Caffeine. Which caffeine is the
0: coal kind tar? that they put in energy drinks and anything that has added caffeine, like Mountain Dew or whatever? They they actually process it from coal tar, and um, now they do it from petroleum. It's amazing.
4: Paul's furiously typing. <laughs> I'm, I'm wow cu- they live <laughs> I am I'm curious as to be, um where, where it's natural currents
0: not natural synthetic. My, I guess, synthetic and guess what I, evil I, corporation is responsible other than Coca-Cola it's Coca-Cola
4: Mo- would my guess
0: it's Monsanto In fact, Monsanto.
4: That does does not surprise
0: me. Monsanto got their big first contract was with Coca Cola. Oh, turning coal tar into caffeine. That's exactly what it was. They have all these beverages, and they can't
4: caffeine was first. Okay, do you know who first developed synthetic caffeine, Jesse?
0: Uh, I know that Monsanto's job was to do that, but I do not know the inventor.
4: Well, you know what? What country was was first? first oh well, if,
0: if if this is like a trivia and I need to guess, it's always Germany.
4: It is. It is. It is actually Nazi Germany.
0: Well, I don't know about Nazi Germany, but definitely it was, Germany.
4: Nazi Germany was the yeah. was the first.
0: The I Germans mean, they, they, are really they tried big to make into
4: chemistry. oil. oil you know, they did. Like when you have a country with out limited of, out of coal tar, when you when, when, you, when you have limited uh, natural resources, you got to do what you got to do.
0: And they were doing Which that I, before World War One, though, as well. They invented amphetamines,
4: and actually, actually, I mean, you're mentioning Coulter. Actually, um, according to what I'm reading here, synthetic caffeine comes from ammonia. Actually,
0: remember what I was saying? Ammonia and urea are closely related.
4: Well, well, the, well, the, the you, ammonia, ammonia, urea, urine. Uric acid, or all possible uh, end end states for wastes for various organisms, which the organism picks uses um, uses one based on its environment. Generally, the more aqueous an environment, the more way they can get away with things with ammonia. Whereas if we tried to use ammonia as a waste product, it'd be bad because it would kill us. But like creatures that live in a desert tend towards more things like uric acid, which they, they can excrete as physical. It's a matter of much water. it a little background. poopy. Well, yeah, well, well yes. They, they basically poop uric acid. It, I, I mean, I mean, we produce uric acid too, but in only tiny amounts because it's non-soluble. We, we, we stick with urine because, you know.
0: I'm glad we got you talking about the Pee
4: <laughs> You got me talking. Talk yeah, it's
0: like wow. Paul knows a lot about this. Um, <laughs> I, I, have
4: a, I have a BA in biology. I don't. Use oh, okay. My, I don't have my I use it in my job or anything, but you know, you, that that that's that's. I mean, you, you kicked my bio biology brain into high gear again.
5: I just figured you learned this reading science fiction.
4: No, this is stuff I actually learned in a classroom. I learned lots of things in science fiction, but. I learned this in a classroom. Mm.
0: I'm trying. I'm trying to find a particular poem, um, and it's not on my website for some reason.
4: You forgot. That you forgot your uh, poem.
0: No, nah, it's. I think I never scanned it. Oh. Um, but it's. I know the poem. It's just where can I find it online, real quick, rather than going and grabbing a book.
5: Yes, You're gonna so- read a poem to us before we get started. Uh, I believe so.
0: No, no, not wow. for no for, uh, for the show.
5: Unless, for the show, unless
0: you don't want me to.
5: Oh no, I'm 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 down. Okay. It's uh I uh you know we accept all comers here. Good, good.
0: Except my high voice.
5: <laughs> we're we're mixed on that. You know we <laughs> we took a vote on it and it was a tie.
0: So um, I'm not a I'm not a. Democrat, I don't think we should vote on things like that. Let people do what they want with be their lives. Yeah. yeah. Some people want to walk around with a high voice. <laughs> Another like a deep. <coughs>
4: um, Dreams or messages from the deep.
0: Uh, yeah. Speaking of which, did you see the dream I had last night? Kind of embarrassing.
4: I did not see the dream you had last night. Oh my god.
0: It was so but embarrassing.
4: I, 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 I spoiled the opening of Doom there. Before before, before, the, before the movie even starts... Before, well, now I can't the, read the book. I'm talking about the movie. Now as, I can't as the, watch the book. As the, as the opening credits, where it says Warner Brothers, you hear this weird distorted voice saying, dreams or messages from the deep, and then it launches into the movie. It's a very strange... It's like It takes two seconds and it's gone. It's like, what the heck was that?
0: i don't think that's a lot it was from interesting to that? watch
4: is it is it, it was interesting to watch uh doing what someone had never seen or read the books or anything i'd explain a lot we <laughs> we paused we paused the Lich movie so you're saying
0: you should have got some of the that uh that movie money
4: how no. people no because you you friends friendship is universal so right. you you are a you are a gorilla what the hell
0: no this one is um L- um, let me. 5.30 a.m.
4: Should I, should I read this out
0: loud? Yeah, go for it.
5: I dreamt I was working for a, convert re- a covert resistance group. We were looking to acquire arms in Tanganyika. And in, a, in an effort to avoid being burned, I did a stealth reconnaissance of a supposed student group's cache of on a university campus, dressed all in black, with black makeup all over. I snuck into the quad <laughs> at 3 a.m., But suddenly, the campus theater door opened and dozens of students exited, an audience from some late-night production. Cornered, I stepped into the darkest shadows, ninja-style, but the exiting crowd kept approaching. When they turned a corner, my corner, I fell in with them and avoided eye contact. The throng carried along into another building, some sort of late-night cafeteria, Inside, under the dim lighting, I broke away and made for the roof suddenly overhearing a familiar voice that of the group's leader I was to get weapons from if he had them. Um, sorry, I'm not a great narrator. I slept into I slipped into a store room and searched the space scrambling for more uh, for some normal set of clothes to get into. I found a towel, some shorts, and a hot water heater. <laughs> letting out some water, boiling hot, I soaked the towel and stripped. Soon I was removing a ventilation gate grate and climbing uh, through into a steam tunnel. I scrubbed my hands and face, dumped my black clothes, and followed the pipes. At some hub hundreds of feet into the tunnels, I found the student arms cache and soon found students were approaching from another direction. I panicked. Wearing only the shorts, I threw the dirty towel atop an inaccessible pipe and climbed into a half-empty in half munitions crate. There I hid, fearing they'd open the crate at any moment. I could do nothing, just wait, while the group talked in a Bantu Creole. And
4: that was the end of your dream?
0: No, there's one more, isn't there? Oh, no, I guess that's it, yeah. Um, it's very hard to capture exactly what happened. There was something more involved in the theater. Um, you were going full Justin with the the black makeup. You know what I think did that? I was watching Star Trek last night, and the episode was uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, which is the one where there's a guy with black on the right side of his oh. face and white on the left side of his face, oh, and there's yeah. another guy who's hunting him who's... Vice versa, and they're like really upset that these monochromatics are like they don't get their grief, and uh, so I think that right, that's they probably it, what caused it.
4: Like on the other side of his face, that that's right. Evil. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a subtle movie. No episode. It's really. Andy.
0: It's no. It's not subtle at all. But it was. <laughs> it really gets past defenses because what can you say? <laughs> it, it's what's presented to you, right? And uh, I'm not sure, like, how I knew uh, I was in Tanganyika exactly, but that's the word that came to mind.
4: Tanganyika is not a, even a country.
0: I never said it was. It's a... It's a region. It's a region of uh, Congo, although it used to be a country. Well, it's also a region of Tanzania. Uh, yes. Um, the problem is, is it all changes hands a lot. and uh, But, uh, yeah, pretty sure it was a... Because I'm saying it was a a Bantu Creole because I didn't understand it. But I honestly, it was a dream and it, it was like I was in the locker or whatever. So uh, <laughs> I can't tell you exactly, but yeah, it is kind they of full probably just speaking Swahili, Jesse. Uh, that's entirely possible. But for some reason I thought it was a Creole because, um, I thought I could understand some of the things they were saying, you know? Oh yeah. What, what kind of things were they saying that you understood? Uh, like I, I was knowing what was going on at the production. They had seen it It was like, uh, it was like a, some sort of, um, ceremony honoring a bunch of people. And then there was like, uh, you know, little skits and stuff. And, and they were, there was like some celebrities in the, uh, in the, the group, But um, I also, like, I was kind of ashamed, but I didn't really put it in there. But basically, we might have been trying to steal their weapons as well, rather than buy them. Which is kind of shameful, but um, uh, I I can't guarantee that. It was, like, sort of, I don't even know, like, why am I there? Why am I doing these things? (laughs) It's just what's happening. Right? And even saying it was me is kind of hard to say. Yeah. do you have dreams
4: that are not, not don't have Yeah, I have anywhere. dreams where
0: I'm not in them at all You know It's just like a movie I'm watching or whatever
4: That's interesting I know, I mean,
0: it's very strange
4: I mean, I've sometimes had third person dreams But I'm yeah. always a character Or a version of me is a character I've never had a dream where I'm not Physically present Or a version of me isn't present so I don't have dreams about other people
0: Three days ago, maybe, I didn't have a dream, uh, me in it, dreamt of a kind of Casablanca on a train. Near the end, I was taken to a coal cart. you seeing a pattern here, uh, where I was handcuffed to an iron railing. There, my kidnapper, oh, I guess I am in it, who was looking for revenge, left me after giving a little speech. <laughs> he pulled out a forty-five automatic, tapped it twice on the coal car's wall, then left Uh, For the train's engine. About a minute later, a tall woman we'd thought killed in an earlier scene arrived from the baggage car, 45 in her left hand, and her own decapitated head in her right hand held tight against her hip. Her speech was even shorter.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Determined uh,
0: Determined to live long enough for revenge, she asked where my kidnapper had gone. I told her. On her way through the engine, she too twice tapped her forty-five on the iron wall of the coal car. Then, What is it, I, the
4: tapping of the gun? Why are you That's asking exactly. me, surgery!
0: <laughs> I, I heard a third tap as she stumbled through the, the way my kidnapper had gone. On the floor beside the black blood trail her decapitated head had left was an iron key ring and the key to my handcuffs. I dragged it closer with an outstretched foot. As I unlocked myself from the iron railing, I heard two gunshots. It should be T W. It's T O here. Compelled to look, I hesitated. At the engine do- car doorway, shook my head, then turned and went through the baggage car. Credits rolled. So I, I think that double tap is uh uh like Obama. <laughs> what? What it's is that double-, double
4: tap, Obama? What is that's that?
0: That's his. That's his. You know his his signature move: the double tap. With what? the drone, the drone comes in. Yeah, It's like a, there's a wedding, right? And they they drone it, and then that's they wait. Not, tw-
4: that's not a signature move.
0: Uh, uh, I'm afraid it is, Paul. <laughs> double tap? No. So type in you're
4: double tap, tap I think you're Obama. There.
0: Type in double tap Obama. It's his signature move. I mean, I he has think- well, he has once he does on the dance floor too. But I'm not talking about that one. But I think that's where where it came from because I'd mentioned that in a earlier that week or this week or whatever oh there's a fu manchu dream
5: um, so the star trek communist says star mm. trek generations is a christmas movie and will be played on a loop
4: until the new year He's i gonna will die, die on this <laughs> there you go. star trek generations is a christmas movie
0: i think it is actually
5: isn't I, there um, like a christmas scene with like kirk
4: Yes, there is. Not with Kirk, it's with Picard. Yes, uh, yes, there I is. think
0: I think it is.
4: It, yeah. Yes, yes, because in his fantasy, in the in the whatever the Matrix, no, not the Matrix, the uh, Nexus, he had he, he he meets this woman that you know and has a family and stuff that he doesn't have in real life. That's right. That sounds right. Why does Picard want a family? Because he never had a family. And he was jealous of his brother. Because his brother <sighs> died with it's the family. Because he was gay. He was not gay.
0: Pretty sure Picard you, was gay.
4: I, I mean, I, did you never, did you never see the episode, like say with Bosh? Did or you never
0: see Star Trek Picard? Other, <laughs>
4: um, no, I haven't actually. It, 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 if if, if uh, John Luke's sexuality is gender is uh, bisexual, that wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. But he's he, he's canonically heterosexual in the series. We've seen it.
0: Hey, that was all repression.
5: <laughs> the, that's what? just uh like he, he can seriously like <laughs> Russian. <repression. laughs> Maybe he's bisexual, but like he can't like feel romantic feelings towards anyone. Uh, ba- I, I mean, was it's, a,
4: it's, it's it's impossible pr- he could be mostly ace or aro. That's true, but B- kind of presented in a
0: masculine and, way, though, right?
4: I mean, I mean, clearly he longs for that sort of thing because the ne- the Nexus picks up on it and tries to give it to him. So, no, I think he's so. I I, mean, I will
0: stipulate that Patrick Stewart seems to be straight. However, Picard definitely gay, whereas Kirk definitely hetero. Uh, they make that over well, and over again.
5: Unless he's just like the biggest like case of repression in history.
4: <laughs> although, although Will doesn't know this. Well, maybe Will knows this. Will, do you know how fan fiction for Star Trek got started?
5: Yeah, of course I know this. I'm, like, from, like, the internet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, but Kirk and Spock are, like, bi. They're not, like,
0: gay. (laughs) How many women did... uh, This is a a good question for trivia on Twitter. How many women did Kirk inseminate? Not saying how many women did he have children with. How many did he inseminate?
4: What um, <laughs> the depends on
5: whether we see. It. I, mean, I mean, I don't know if we see any insemination on screen. Yes, we we
4: we do, we do,
0: we do. Uh I mean,
4: there's lots of imp. I, I mean, there's lots of implication. I mean, I mean, I mean. Sure, sure. sure is that Native American woman he was clearly married to? And clearly, was She wasn't.
0: She was from another planet.
4: She wasn't American. How dare you? No Native. What well, she's descended from Native Americans. She could that, have been that, from that, Canada. What? No, no, no. Yeah, the 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 episode where the Native Americans got settled on the planet with the asteroid deflector. Right? I know. I'm that just
0: one. I'm just pointing out that you you don't know that they were. Uh, some of them are Huron. Some of them are. Uh, there's a, a list of the ne-
4: tribes by that they Native were. America Okay, 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 okay. I, I will amend my words. Indigenous, Aboriginal First North Nations, Ameri-
0: Aboriginal,
4: Aborigin- Aborigin- <laughs> Indigenous, North American descendants. On another planet. How about the <laughs> First
5: Nations of space? Yes. First Nations of
4: space. Thank you. Anyway, so we know her, and I know I know there was a version of episode that got cut where basically she has a baby. So we know he had, Carol Marcus was a kid. Carol, Carol, Carol Carol Marcus is is when the Klingons killed. Because we have David. Um I mean, and other than it, that, we don't know. We don't know for sure. How I'm many, pretty sure many, he
0: did the the Alan of Troyus lady because there's a scene um, where he's wobbling? putting his boots on after she cries on him, and like he was unavailable from you know Uhura's calling down and saying, "Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk," no answer. He's they cut to having him putting his boots back on. <laughs> but
5: you That's don't know weird. what kind of sex he likes to do. It, not, it might not
0: be insemination. That's true. But you know he has Kirk Kirk powers, so pretty much I think every time he, has he Kirk fires, powers. every time he fires, such
5: as you and you get pregnant. That's
0: right. I that mean, most of most of the women he kissed, I, I believe Uhura has a love child through him. What? No, it was a forced doesn't. love child. She probably got an abortion though, because what? you know it was Jesse, unwanted. No.
5: They just you can just get one of those on the starship. It's not a problem.
0: It's a pill. Doctor McCoy no. hands them out, or a little hypo.
5: A lot. <laughs> <laughs> the ensigns are always taking them.
0: The ensigns? Oh yeah. What do you think all those yeomen are for, Paul?
5: That's what I meant, yeomen All the yeomen are always taking them. Uh, the yeomen
0: pass them out and take them. They're like candy.
5: Um, no. You keep you keep them in the your yeoman your weird yeoman haircut is just full of abortion pills.
4: <laughs> no. No. <laughs>
5: I can't believe I just made a recording of myself saying the Yeoman haircut is full of abortion pills um, I, I,
0: I, personally am not
4: recording I will
0: die on this hill. hill I don't
4: have I do have this blackmail I had, uh,
0: I, I tweeted about uh, the coffee cups on, on Star Trek how you know Kirk and uh, crew are always getting served coffee on the bridge and there's like no garbage can so I postulated a theory that they're edible. So they, after <laughs> they finish drinking, <laughs> oh maybe you I sent maybe I, you saw this one, Will. After they you finish, sent it
5: to me and my side. There thing. you go. Yeah, after they it's,
0: finish drinking the coffee, they just e- eat the cup.
5: <laughs> and since it's styrofoam, they have to get it like transported out, out of yes. their belly.
0: Yes, because otherwise it would be bad. I, th- I that's probably why there's no toilets on the ship either. They just beam everything out of space. You just go, like, lie down for a while, and uh, there's, like, a device in the room that beams all the shit into space. It's and, cleaner and that the, way. And the pee, too. They don't even reprocess it into ammonia for the coffee. <laughs> uh.
4: <laughs>
0: it was either this, Paul, or the voice. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I'm, I'm sorry that like uh, I'm sorry that I've created a, a situation for you to be tortured in, Paul. Uh... Although you do seem to knowingly go into these situations with Jesse an awful lot.
4: I'm not a masochist, honest. <laughs>
0: That's That's
4: not my, this, is my, this is not my happy place. Right. Well,
5: we're just talking about, Star Trek, <laughs> Tanganyika.
0: Do you, so, did you did you find the poem you're gonna read? Yeah, I di- uh, it's a comic book adaptation, but it's fine because it's the same text.
5: Cool. Who's the poem
0: by? Oh, that would be telling. Oh, okay. You got it. Who's, who's that line right. from? Oh, I know. That's from The Prisoner. Another From The show. Prisoner. Yeah.
4: Where am I? Where, who is number it, one? That would be telling. Yeah. You are number six. Mm-hmm. Number six. Number
0: six. It's a. It's. Have you ever watched that show, Will? The prisoner. I've seen like one episode of it. I really need to watch it. It's really yeah. weird the way, like, the dialogue is very dreamlike. So questions don't get answered. They're answered Question, with qu- other questions.
4: Qu- questions are prisoner prisons for others. Answers are a prison for oneself.
0: Okay, I think that's. I think that's actually. Uh, good wisdom is, there, Paul. That is, that Don't say it's quote, from a song, though, please.
4: No, it's a quote from the prisoner. Ah. It's one of the signs in the Bureau of Labor.
0: Is that Okay.
4: Questions are a burden for others, answers are a prison for oneself. Yep.
0: Yeah, one of the so, ways of reading that show, uh, Will, is that it's, it's, uh, it's a communist utopia. Um, I it
4: think, is not a utopia.
0: Well, I think it uh, I mean, you know, you get it's, housing. It's
4: a repressive police surveillance state. That's what it's. It is.
0: It's that too. It's that too. But um, that's one of the ways of reading it. Um, it is a surveillance state for sure. Um, but is it to protect the
4: protect other people, pop?
0: No, protect the island's location. And you know, I mean, it. The the central question of the show is why did he resign? Right. And I think the answer is because Sorry. being a spy like this is fucking evil. Is why, and you can't do that if you want to be a moral person.
4: It's all right.
5: what? I, I. I mean. So, Paul, are you? Um, are you? Do you have what you need to get started? Like, are you prepared to podcast today?
4: Prepared. I am ready to podcast. I've been
5: ready okay. to podcast
4: since ten thirty, ten a. All right.
5: Um. All right. Sounds good. So, um. Do you guys? Are you guys okay? If we get started soon, I'm fine. Let's get started. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think right. we warmed
4: up sufficiently.
5: All right. Yeah. I I think so. Um. Yeah, you you ready to talk in your squeaky voice, Jesse? Hey. Hello. Uh, all right. Um. Uh. Squeaky. Uh. Hello. You're listening to the Planet Stories podcast at Planet Stories thirty nine on Twitter. Planet Stories podcast at gmail.com. I'm uh, Will Emmons. I'm here today with uh, Jesse Willis. Hello. Jesse is the mastermind behind the SFF Audio podcast. I'm also here with uh, Paul Weimer. Good morning. Paul is a podcaster at SFF Audio and uh, Skiffy and Fanty He's also a reviewer. You can see his reviews at uh, Skiffy